Preston, who I believe it was in 1977, was the opening act for the world tour of the Rolling Stones. And this was the number one song that year, Will It Go Round in Circles? And boy, it could easily apply to what's happening in New York City as we continue to sink further and further into the abyss. After eight hours of being abused, excuse me, make that eight years of being abused at the hands of the part-time mayor, the joke from Park Slope at that time, Bill de Blasio, only to have it continue uh, within the first 10 weeks, make that 11 weeks of the Eric Adams administration, a guy who said, hey, I get stuff done. That was his hallmark. And he was going to prioritize public safety. He was the law and order mayor. At least that's what he said. And the reason why this uh, song by Billy Preston, Will It Go Round in Circles, is so important is that really what it means when all is said and done and can be applied to many, many things in our lives is that they're not achieving anything because they keep coming back to the same point and the same problem. And boy, isn't that true? Of what Eric Adams has done to the beginning of his mayoralty as we have higher subway crime than we ever had in the eight years of Bill de Blasio. Hard to believe. And higher street crime. So earlier today, he was um, at an event, an event that, well, it's sort of gone out of fashion, used to be very traditional. You'd have a Holy Name Society communion breakfast at a parish uh, that you grow up in, all five boroughs and the surrounding suburbs. And there are about 500 members of the NYPD. They're both active and retired. And he started uh, talking about how New York City is the laughing stock of the world as crime and homelessness surges. And I said to myself, did this guy look at himself in the mirror this morning and not realize that it's it's his shift? It's the first 11 weeks of his mayoralty and crime has gone up and homelessness has gone up. And he's saying that we're a laughing stock, which would mean if you're looking in the mirror. Then you're the laughing stock because you haven't gotten stuff done. Then Eric Adams made a bizarre comparison. He Compared the state of New York City to a high school science experiment. This is biology. Where you take a frog and you place it in water that is slowly brought to boil. Maybe on top of a Bunsen burner. And remains in the water till it dies. Really bizarre to be bringing up and making that analogy at a uh, communion breakfast. Then he said, let's acknowledge the heat is being turned up right now. We want to turn it down so we don't watch our city boil to death. (laughs) I'm like, man. 
where did this, what club did this guy just come from before he went to the NYPD Holy Name Society communion breakfast? Well, give him a pass on that. Then he really flipped the script. This is where he's delusional. He said there are wartime and peacetime generals. Well, we see that over in the Ukraine now, right? He said, I'm a wartime general. I'm going to be on the front line. I'm not sending you police to the front line and leaving you there. I'm going to be at the front line with you. I'm going to lead you into battle. I would have been sitting there saying, man, this guy is so self-absorbed. He is so delusional that he now thinks that he is a generalissimo. What do you do? You got to snap a salute to him? General, aye, aye. What is he, General MacArthur, General Eisenhower? Sounds to me more like the failed General Westmoreland of the Vietnam War era. But anyway, put that aside. And I'm saying to myself, as he's lecturing the 500 police officers who are at the NYPD Holy Name Society communion breakfast, not all of them active, some of them retirees, most of them white, I would say probably uh, because it is a Catholic breakfast, Irish and Italian, but not limited to Irish and Italian. There seem to be some Hispanics there, some black, but it was predominantly a white crowd. No doubt about it. And I'm saying to myself, if I was a veteran cop who had just recently retired or I was a brass wearing a white shirt and I had done more than 20 years, I'm thinking in the back of my head to what Eric Adams had said right before the start of his campaign to become a mayor. Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers ass, man. I was unbelievable in the police department. Now, you know some of them white guys and white gals sitting there, although they held their tongue. Remember, it's a paramilitary group. They're not going to confront the mayor as he was confronting them. But it would have been normal, human nature, that you would have said, isn't this the same guy? I want to hear that again. Isn't this the same guy who just months before referred to some of us that he had worked with over 22 years as crackers? Every day in the police department, I kicked those crackers ass, man. I was unbelievable in the police department. <sighs> and he wonders why the morale in the police department is so low and how some cops, not all cops, but some cops are not necessarily willing to give him an opportunity to uh, rectify some of those points in his life as a cop when he went round and round in circles. But then he got back on track uh, talking about there's a new way of doing things in this, the Eric Adams era. The way you deal with crime is to prevent crime while you're dealing with what's taking place right now. And it's, a, it's an entirely new way of thinking about public safety. Well, I hate to tell you, Eric, it's not working. Back to the drawing board, because whatever you're doing, it just ain't working. Crime has gone up in the subways. Crime has gone up in the parks. Crime has gone up in the schools. And crime has gone up in the streets. So you would think, gee, I've already had a luncheon with Shamu. El Jefe Chris Christie, um, who didn't, wasn't involved in crime fighting in the streets as governor or even as prosecutor from Newark, federal prosecutor. He had a lunch, uh, make that a dinner, Midtown Manhattan, 
with Andrew Evilized Cuomo. And let's face it, uh, he is the guy who brought into legislation and signed it into law the no-cash bail law that has really hampered law enforcement and public safety. You think maybe it's time that he send out the Rudy Giuliani bat signal and say, hey, Rudy, you know, just like 45 minutes an hour, you and me, I don't want it to be public. Uh, I just want to start discussing some of these measures I want to do because I'm going around in circles. Crime is going up, right? Rudy Giuliani, who put in zero tolerance, quality of life initiatives, put into effect the broken windows theory into full practice in policing, something that Eric Adams and his new police commissioner talk about, but something that Rudy actually did and took us from the murder capital of America, 2,000 murders a year under David Dinkins, 5,000 unsolved shootings. Eight years later, upon him leaving office, the safest big city in America. You think maybe he could convey to Eric Adams and his brand new police commissioner, Sewell, some of the things that worked in his eight years? I think so. I think it behooves him. But then in the midst of all of this, with Eric Adams saying that we're a laughing stock because of rising crime and homelessness, uh, the other weekend he took off for Chi-Town to Chicago, to the city with the worst crime problem in America, the murder capital of America, the gang capital of America, led by Mayor Lightfoot, who's a real lightweight, hates cops and embraces gangs. And so they had a conference about what to do about rising crime. Now, what the hell, Eric, could you have learned in Chicago other than how to let gangs control your city? But this was the dual statement they made, both Mayor Eric Adams and uh, Mayor Lightfoot, at the end of the Chicago Public Safety Conference. And the mayor and I are clear, we are not going to remain silent. We're not going to pretend as though there is some conscious failures that are taking place. We've got to do more to make sure that we intervene in a proactive way to provide support and love to these young people at the earliest possible stage in life. Yeah, maybe at birth. Because if you don't do it at birth, the older they get, in some instances, the more incorrigible they get, the more indoctrinated in gang activity, especially in Chi-Town, they get. I mean, we have gang problems in New York City, but it pales in comparison to Chicago. The west side and the south side of Chicago, controlled by gangs. Bloods, crips, uh, people, folks, and more different kinds of Hispanic uh, gangs than I can count on two hands. It's, it's gangland. Ever since uh, Al Capone, it's a city known for its gangs, but the gangs are overwhelming the city. And Eric Adams went to Chicago for two days to learn crime-fighting techniques. Very, very disconcerting. Then during the campaign, and I know this personally, Eric Adams was campaigning to win the Democratic nomination. And in order to appeal to uh, liberals and progressives and uh, working class people and the poor and the indigent, he actually called for free fare. I have a metro car and I know the importance of public transportation. I will ensure that it's a free system and those who could afford to pay more in taxes will pay more in taxes to have this great lifeblood of our city. So I'm going in circles. He was campaigning that the subway system run by the MTA, the money-taking agency, the state authority, should be free for all. 
That means open up the turnstiles, let in anybody, anytime, any place, because if you don't control the turnstiles, you lose control of the subways and crime escalates. And he should have known that as a transit cop who had served for 10 years. And now all of a sudden he has had an epiphany. And just the other week he was talking about the turnstiles. It's a crime. It's a crime. If we start saying it's all right for you to jump the turnstile, we are creating an environment. Who can stop this thing and everything goes? It's a crime. So now it's a crime. But what the hell is he going to do about it? Because before that, he didn't think of it as a crime. He thought of it as a violation. And let's face it, all the DAs, all five DAs in Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, and Manhattan don't prosecute fair evasion. And then he got rough and tough because as crime went up 200% in the subway system alone under his watch, he defined specifically what you were no longer going to be able to do in the subway. We enforce these elements in these rules. No more smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want. Good, good. I applauded that. I said, yeah. All right, finally. You're doing what Rudy Giuliani did. Cracking down, right? Oh, I had such hopes after that speech. But then, typical... um Eric Adams fashion, he tries to please everyone. And you know in life, when you try to please everyone, you please no one. And things will only get worse. Just where I thought after that statement, he was going to talk about it being arrestable offenses. Then he let me down and all of you. This is about arresting a problem. We're not going to be heavy handed. We're not saying if you break a minor infraction that we're going to put handcuffs on you. We're going to correct the conditions. That's what we're going to do in this plan. What? So you mean I can go in the subway? Can I hear that one again about the barbecue and all that? Uh, I want to go through the litany of what he now calls crimes. We enforce these elements in these rules. No more smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want. Well, I don't know about barbecues. Uh, I've ridden the train since I was five years old, uh, 1959 by myself. I have never seen a barbecue, but I'm sure coming from the beach, you know, somebody may have had a hibachi grill that they hadn't yet put out, you know, had a few coals going on the grills, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, they had a few slabs of meat. Or if they were vegans or vegetarians, you know, a few green peppers. Who knows? All right, so you wouldn't arrest them for that. But other other violations that he talked about? Yeah, you take out the handcuffs. You put them up against the wall. You get their ID. You do a background check on them. God only knows how many warrants there may be out for them. And maybe you'll even find on them contraband that will put them in jail, or more importantly, a loaded 9 millimeter, which has happened in the past. So he, he brought me up only to let me down. But there's more, ladies and gentlemen. As Eric Adams earlier today before 500 cops and retired cops at the annual NYPD Holy Name Society Communion Breakfast declared that New York City is a laughing stock because of the rising crime and rising homelessness on his watch. And yet he doesn't think that's a reflection on him. Try to figure that out. And then, remember, 
There was the case of the brand new DA in Manhattan, overwhelmingly elected by the majority of Democrats on the island of Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who wants to hug thugs and thug ass and turn them loose. And he's doing that. And a lot of people emerged at that time when they heard him publicize all the crimes that he would not prosecute. And by the way, on the hush, hush, mush, mush, all the DAs have a list of crimes they will not prosecute, that they took an oath, a sworn oath, to uphold the prosecution of these crimes. Obviously, 95% of them you plea bargain out. But still, you prosecute those crimes. They have their own list in Queens, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, in Manhattan. But Alvin Bragg publicized his, and I thought for sure the mayor, Eric Adams, would give him a slap down. I like Alvin. He was a great prosecutor. Uh, I believe that he's going to be a good district attorney, and I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him as we build out uh, what we need to do around public safety so that we're all on the same page. Eric, he's turning criminals loose every day. They're shoplifting. They're going in and out of Dwayne Reed, CVS, Walgreens. They're going in and out of supermarkets, grocery stores, bodegas all kinds of retail establishments. They're walking in with their Alvin Bragg swag bag and filling it up and not getting arrested. And there are no consequences. And that's all because of Alvin Bragg. Any, any, oh, I almost disconnected myself. Oh, look at this. Oh, it's my 68th birthday and I'm having problems here. An act of sabotage is taking place on my headphones. Anyway, let's open up the uh, phone lines for your response to what is the lead local story today that uh, Eric Adams, before 500 cops and former police officers at the annual NYPD communion breakfast, decried at the fact that we are now a laughing stock to the world, a laughing stock to the world, which is true. Uh, and that's because of the ever-increasing crimes that are taking place, and he went through a whole litany of those crimes, uh, and all the homelessness uh, that is leading to uh, quite a few of the crimes. But he didn't blame himself. He blamed everybody else, including you out there. That's right, you who are just not understanding that it's not just about cracking down on crime and criminals, but it's doing it uh, with justice in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be uh, pro-law enforcement. Uh, you can be uh, cracking down on crime. But you have to consider justice first and foremost for those who are committing the crimes. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Then if you remember, he went up to Albany to lobby uh, against the no-cash bail that was put into place by former Governor Andrew Evilized Cuomo. You never know that because uh, now all of a sudden in his new campaign, we think to get reelected governor. He's running all those ads. He's decrying Holcomb, Kathy Holcomb, crime wave Kathy Holcomb, as if she's soft on crime, never mentioning the fact that he was the one who promoted the no cash bail system. But, you know, he's a revisionist. He figures you're all stupid. You'll forget. And he'll blind you with dollars. But remember, Eric Adams came back. He was not successful in lobbying the governor, nor Cousin Stewart, the Democratic leader of the supermajority in the state Senate from Yonkers, or 
Carl Hastie, the Speaker of the Assembly, the leader of the supermajority of Democrats, uh, all of them said no, no, a thousand times no. Although we've seen Hoku pirouette recently because a series of polls have indicated she's very vulnerable on that no cash bail issue. So now she wants to sound rough and tough, but uh, she she is not going to withhold uh, funding to elected uh, officials throughout the state if they don't uh, change the no-cash-bail law. We know that this this is all political game. But remember that day that Eric Adams had that press conference at 14th Street when that 40-year-old Asian woman was pushed into the tracks by that emotionally disturbed man who uh, was now remanded to a psychiatric facility. He's so insane in the brain, he can't even stand trial at this point. Remember what he said on the platform of uh, 14th Street and 7th Avenue to a stunned crowd and thousands and thousands of people who consumed the evening news that Sunday. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their job. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, when you see homeless individuals with mental health issues not being attended to and given the proper services that add to the perception of fear. And so what our battle is in the subway system is fighting the perception of fear. Really? He realized he was getting a lot of blowback. So he then announced two days later that he was afraid to go into the subway. So it went from perception to reality. This is how this guy flips the script. But when he came back from Albany, not having successfully lobbied his friends there, because remember, he had served in the state Senate. He's a supporter of Governor Holcomb, crime wave Kathy Holcomb. He's a supporter of Stuart Cousins, the Democratic leader of the state Senate uh, a majority. And then, of course, Carl Hastings, who is the speaker of the assembly. He's been friends with them for a long time, and he failed to move the dial. And actually, the media wrote about that. So what was Eric Adams' response? Eric Adams decided to blame the white media. You know, let me say this. And, you know, I'm not saying it out of hate. I'm saying it out of love. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks have determined how these stories are being written? How many Asians? How many East Indians? How many South Asians? Everybody talks about my government being diversified. What's the diversification in the newsrooms? So everybody go back with their predispositions. And my role as mayor is being interpreted through the prisms of your realities and not mine. So I guess if you're a white person, you don't have the right to criticize the mayor because you don't have melanin as part of your complexion. And actually, he frightened a lot of the white reporters who were very woke, very progressive, very liberal, who had uh, bent over backwards for him during the primary and the campaign. They had basically anointed him. The new face of the Democratic Party was a form of idolatry. They almost didn't even recognize that he 
he had an election against me. But then probably the most preposterous of the many things he said was talking about why he needed his brother Bernard to be first a deputy uh, police commissioner, although he hadn't been in the police department for a long, long time, originally had served with community affairs, retired, and then went down to uh, Commonwealth University in Virginia and parked cars for a few years in his retirement. But he needed his brother to come back as a deputy police commissioner. Well, that didn't fly. So then he had to come up with a reason for nepotism, you know, for putting him on the payroll. So remember, remember what he, how he justified having his brother as part of his security team. My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my secur- security in a very serious way. White supremacy and hate crimes. All during the primary, to his credit, Eric Adams did not have a security detail assigned to him by the NYPD. He refused it as I refused it. And then in the general election, he refused it. I refused it because, let's face it, these cops needed to be out there patrolling the streets as crime was skyrocketing. Then he becomes mayor and he needs his brother Bernard to be on his security detail because all of a sudden he could potentially be a victim of... White supremacists. So I figure, look, Curtis, don't be too jaundiced. Don't be too skeptical. There's a white sheet sale going on at Bed Bath & Beyond right there in Columbus Circle. White sheets, uh, like two-thirds off. I figure if there were any white supremacists anywhere in the city, they would immediately be filling the aisles of Bed Bath & Beyond. I waited there religiously. Uh, there were no white supremacists. A lot of people taking advantage of the sale. And then naturally... The retail workers for Bed Bath & Beyond came up to me, Curtis, why are you here? Why are you here? And I said, well, I'm looking, I can't say I'm looking for white supremacists. I say, I'm here to curtail uh, all of the uh, shoplifting that's been taking place in retail establishments. Oh, good. Thank you, Curtis. Then on Friday, as again, crime is skyrocketing because this mayor does not have a plan, nor does his police commissioner. She's clueless. Uh, he was asked again, uh, would you ever contemplate carrying a gun? Because he has a right to do that as a former police officer. It became uh, uh, a debatable issue during the primary and the general election because sometimes he said, I would carry a gun, which he can legally. I won't carry a gun. But then he not only talked about how he won't carry a gun, at least for now, but when he would, and why he needs his brother so desperately as part of his security detail, his brother Bernard. You know, no, but seriously, let's be clear on what I said. I stated that if I receive a threat from my intel that states that there's a real threat, that I would make that determination. Intel uh, protects me. Many people were not happy to hear, but, you know, my brother's with me, and sometimes he's my duplicate, he's my body double. Uh, but we are going to do what's right to protect the people of the city of New York. And if I um, feel the need to do so, then I would do so. I don't feel the need to do so right now because Bernard is around me. Have you said you've dumped off at any point? Uh, no, uh, uh, no, I have not. Bernard, his brother, is his body double? 
Didn't Saddam Hussein have body doubles? Didn't the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea? Uh, remember when Bill Clinton went and uh, actually picked up the two women who were being held hostage there, the two Asian women from America who were doing a documentary about all the people trying to flee North Korea into uh, Red China, and they got caught at the border there, and they were put in the gulag. And Kim Jong mentally ill said, I'm not going to release them until Bill Clinton comes over here and sits down and visits some of our monuments and has dinner with me and has a good talk. Because remember, with the passing of Madeleine Albright, his, uh, his former Secretary of State, he had actually sent her uh, behind the kimchi curtain of Kim Jong mentally ill in 1999, where she sat with him and said, I think we can do business with him as she had to attend the world's largest arena, outdoor arena, seats 200,000. And the main uh, performer was Bill Clinton's brother, Roger Clinton, who was playing the piano. He's like a lounge lizard uh, in Reno. And he was performing, and Kim Jong mentally ill thought that was the best uh, performance ever. I would have said, this guy is out of his mind. But Madeleine Albright said, no, no, we can do business with him. Uh, luckily, Bill Clinton was successful in his mission. He rescued the two uh, American Asians who had done that documentary. But uh, that's the only time I've heard of body doubles, right? Saddam Hussein, he had like 10 of them when we invaded Iraq. <laughs> and then the evil seed of Kim Jong mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea. What the hell would Eric Adams need a body double for? Can anybody ask answer that question, ladies and gentlemen? Why would our mayor? Go from having no security in the primary to his credit and a general election to his credit to now not just wanting his brother to be his security to protect him from threats from white supremacists, but to also use Bernard as a body double. So that means while Eric Adams is in one location, he could have his brother Bernard pretend to be Eric Adams at a different location. Is he out of his mind? And imagine intel at the police department, one police plaza, has to put up with this because he's the mayor. Hi, Melbourne, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Also, when we come back, we'll talk about what was quite the tradition years ago, not so much any longer. The Holy Name Society Communion Breakfast. It used to be part and parcel of every parish in the tri-state area. Many of them no longer have that tradition, and they haven't kept it alive. But I remember one in which a guy ended up meeting his future wife. Oh, it's an interesting story. On the cusp of the start of Major League Baseball, thanks to Eric Adams, cutting out special provisions for ball players. And not everybody else. I'll be able to relate this story to you. And I think you'll scratch your head and say, wow, that's quite a narrative. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oh, yeah, the Korean one-hit wonder here. 
한잔의여유를아는품격있는여자밤이오면심장이뜨거워지는여자그런반전있는여자 Oh, I gotta go to Koreatown in the shadow of the Empire State Building, right on 33rd between 6th and 5th, or even Northern Boulevard in Queens, which has become Little Koreatown, and get somebody to translate this song, which was number one. Number one, not just in South Korea, number one, even in North Korea, behind the kimchi curtain of Kim Jong Mentally Ill, and number one in the world. It was a one-hit wonder, VH1, one-hit wonder. Even though the artist who did this had denounced America when we had invaded uh, Iraq and we're doing regime change with Saddam Hussein. Remember regime change? Saddam Hussein. And he condemned America. Didn't matter. He still was number one because it was a good song. You know how that works. You know how that works. Yeah, let me uh, play that. I thought he was saying a condom style, you know, like promoting the use of condoms all over the world in order to have safe sex uh, and to eliminate overpopulation. I really thought there was a PSA for condom use, and then the Koreans told me, no, no, Chris. <laughs> has nothing to do with prophylactics or condoms. But now... Before we go to your calls, because we have a blazing board of calls who want to respond to the uh, local news headlines of the day, where Eric Adams, while at an NYPD Holy Name Society communion breakfast, announced that we are a laughing stock to the world because of our ever-increasing crime and homelessness. Uh, and yet, he didn't seem to think that it all reflected on him. He called himself Generalissimo. I am the general. Wow, is he delusional. And he's going to lead us into battle. Eric, you know, Zelensky is asking for volunteers. He's got the, the version of the French Foreign Legion, except he calls it the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. You can go over there now, right? And you could be an instant generalissimo. <sighs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. So earlier today, I was in Bay Ridge for the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade uh, going up 3rd Avenue. Remember, like all other parades, it had been on the shelf for the last two years because of the lockdown and pandemic that came into place in March of 2020. Great turnout. And it's interesting because a lot of Catholic schools participate. Uh, there was Zavarian, uh the guys and gals from Zavarian. There was Fontainebleau, the all-girls school. And there were a lot of the parish uh, elementary schools, a lot of Catholic schools in Bay Ridge. And so I was asking everybody there, hey, do you still have the Holy Name Society communion breakfast? And some of them still do, although they say it's not really as well attended as it was uh, decades ago. And I know because I remember going to Holy Name Society communion breakfast and it'd be packed. And not just people trying to schnore, you know, free breakfast. They were like really devotees. They were into it. You know, you go to church and then you had the Holy Name Society Communion Breakfast. And you, you normally have to do that sometimes in some of the parishes in the gymnasium. That many people attended. So I'll never forget, I became very good friends with Phil Rizzuto, who was, uh, let's face it, synonymous with the Yankees, came out of Richmond Hill High School, Richmond, uh, Richmond Hill, Queens. Uh, and he could tell some great, great tales. And remember, he'd always leave Yankee Stadium early, 
uh, as part of his broadcasting uh, responsibilities and say that he had to go join Cora, his wife in Hillside, because he lived in a house in Hillside, which is right on the border of Newark and Elizabeth. And oh, could he regale tales. And he would tell me some really good ones. Although I had heard some really good ones about Phil Rizzuto that he had alligator arms, which meant when it came time to pay for something, it wasn't going to be Phil Rizzuto. <laughs> Not, no way. Phil Rizzuto had alligator arms. And I even asked him, I say, hey, you know, Phil, uh, some folks are saying you have alligator arms. He goes, yeah, well, they're right about that. I grew up poor. I didn't have anything. I had a pancake mitt. I didn't even have like a legitimate baseball glove. You know, mine was like generic. It didn't even, I, I don't know, it was from Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan. Okay. So he said, Curtis, uh, you know how I met my wife, Cora? I said, no. He goes, I came up through the uh, Yankee ranks, went to spring training, was able to make the team. And back then, the tradition of all teams was that you would pair a rookie with a veteran. And so Phil Rizzuto was a rookie. And luckily, he got paired with the Yankee Clipper, Joe DiMaggio. So on the road, they're sharing a room. So Joe says to um, Phil Rizzuto, Phil, can you do me a favor? Uh, They want me at a Holy Name Society communion breakfast, which was very common back then, the, the local teams. Uh, in this case, the Yankees, the New York Giants, and definitely the Brooklyn Dodgers would send their players to these Holy Name Society communion breakfasts. And he said to Phil, Phil, I really got a pressing responsibility Sunday morning. Could you please take care of that for me? So naturally, Phil Rizzuto, oh, he wanted to please Joe DiMaggio. I mean, let's face it, the Italian stallion, Joe DiMaggio, he probably had a hot date with Marilyn Monroe. Who knew? Phil wasn't going to ask. But then he realized, oh, my God, I'm going to be going to this Holy Name Society communion breakfast in Bay Ridge. And they're expecting Joe DiMaggio, not me, because remember, Phil Rizzuto was like a shrimp. At that point, he had done well in the minor leagues, but he was a person of no consequence on the Yankees. In fact, he said when he showed up, the host of the Holy Name Society communion breakfast in Bay Ridge thought he was the bat boy from the Yankees. Not the rookie shortstop, Phil Rizzuto. So he could see the host was like really upset that Joe DiMaggio was out there. And how was Joe to let him know? You know, there was no cell phones. What was he going to send, pigeons? We'll talk about pigeons later on, how some people want to eliminate pigeons. But that would have been about the only way to get a message to this guy. So Phil is there, and he's sitting on the dais. And he can see people are mumbling and grumbling because that, that's not Joe DiMaggio. That's the bat boy from the Yankees. They can't fool us. They're talking about this is a new shortstop, came up through the minor leagues. Look at him. We need an electron microscope to see the guy. So Phil Rizzuto gets up. He gives his speech at the Holy Name Society communion breakfast in Bay Ridge. Everyone is, like, ignoring him, not paying attention, talking while he's he's speaking. And he said, I, Curtis, I felt like crying. I, I, I was so miserable. People wouldn't even shake my hand. <laughs> they were just like passing out the door. So finally, the host, the guy who thought he originally was the bat boy for the Yankees, said, I tell you what, Phil, you're a nice Italian kid, right, from Richmond. I'll tell you, I'm going to take you home. 
because my wife and my daughter are making a uh, great Italian meal. You know, spaghetti, meatballs, a whole nine yards. You know, Italians, 10-course meal. So Phil figures, like, wow, the guy's showing some uh, human sentimentality towards me. He's not treating me like Drek. So he goes with the guy to the house. He's sitting there. And he said, this woman walks in from the kitchen, his daughter, Cora. And I knew I wanted to marry that woman. I don't know what it was with guys in that generation, right? Like my dad's generation. They see a woman one time, one time, and they know they're going to marry that woman. Even though I've had so many wives and so many trips to family court, I can never say that I looked at a woman the very first time and said, oh, I'm marrying that woman. Heavens to Betsy, no. Well, no, I've heard story after story, guys. I knew the moment I saw her that I was going to marry her. So they're talking, and she's uh, preparing the food. Oh, yeah, little Barry White. Oh, it sounds well, I got my voice. I got to be Bo Snurdly here. James Golden, who fancies himself as Barry White here at WABC, Monday through Fridays from 4 to 5 before the Cats Roundtable, and an additional hour Saturday mornings from 7 to 10. And I'm sure there are some lovely ladies out there when they hear James Golden's voice, say, hmm, oh. But I can assure you, James Golden never thought in his mind, having known him growing up in Queens, having been the phone screener of Rush Limbaugh when we shared the same uh, studios uh, at 32nd and 7th, uh, 17th floor, Madison Square Garden. Bo was not ever looking at any woman and say, oh, I'm going to marry her. Hell no. So he gets into a conversation with Cora, who made the spaghetti and meatballs. And he said, oh, she brought out the Italian bread. Oh, so good. And do you know that soon after they got married? So all those years, you're, you're watching Yankee games, and he is the broadcaster, you know, saying, oh, it's gone, it's gone. In the meantime, it's an infield fly, infield pop-up. <laughs> oh, what a corky he was. He was so good. He was so good. But he would always say, guys, I have to leave the broadcast booth. He'd leave in the seventh inning, get into his, uh, I don't know, Chevy Impala or whatever, drive across the George Washington Bridge, your Jersey Turnpike, down a hillside, as he used to say, to get home to my lovely bride, Cora. See, now you know the rest of the story about the tradition of the Holy Name Society communion breakfasts when they were really huge. And why so many guys of that generation, the 40s and 50s, always tell stories. I saw her walk into the room. I looked into the train and I said, is it okay if I sit here? And I knew immediately I would marry that woman. Do you imagine how many marriages I would have had if, in fact, that had struck me? Never mind. <laughs> I would have needed both my hands to count. I wonder if any of you remember the traditions of the Holy Name Society communion breakfast when it was almost like you had to show up. You didn't show up. You know, you went to Mass, okay. You you put your your contribution in the plate. They put the basket, the wicker basket around. First it was the general fund. Then it was the bishop's fund. Then the cardinal's fund. Then it was to build a new school fund. And you said, my don't know my, I'm already bankrupt. I have no money to buy any food. Don't worry about it. After Mass, you have the Holy Name Society communion breakfast. You get a schmear on the bagel and a cup of coffee. 
How many of you remember that? And by the way, there were a whole bunch of WABC listeners on 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge earlier today for the resumption of the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade. Oh, there was Marty Gold in there. Oh, it's great. And Nicole Maliotakis, who's going to be in quite a battle to maintain her congressional seat against Max Rose. Oh, it was great. It was politics. It was culture. It was society. And it was a lot of Irish guys and gals outside of gin mills trying to kidnap me and bring me in. I, I got to go to WABC. No, you got to come in and have a drink. I can't drink. No, 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 no. Come on. Are you unfriendly? You know, Curtis, I voted for you. I said, the problem was you didn't vote for me four times. And then they had a laugh, and I just, boom, did the bird. I had to get here by 3 o'clock to be with Chris Hahn, left versus right. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bob, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Yeah, hey, Curtis. Actually, I'm a Bayside native. Unfortunately, I missed you at the parade yesterday, um, but I listened to you last night. What I wanted to say about Eric Adams is, and I'm not sure about this, I'm not really a big fan of his. I think he talks in circles. But I wonder, when he talks about all of these things he wants to implement, if he's trying to send a message, a message to, the, uh, to Bragg and the governor and put pressure on them, uh, you know, telling them, I want to do these things, but my hands are tied. Hmm. Well, no, no, that's very feasible. That's uh, very cogent of you that it may be part of a strategy since he realizes that Albany really controls the Nobel issue, controls funding, controls so much of what we do here in the city. So I really had not thought of that as a possible strategy by Eric Adams and his administration. So, yeah, that, that's a possibility, Bob. Yeah, he's not coming right out and saying, you know, because of you, I can't do these things. But I think possibly, you, you may know better than me, that he's, he's trying to tell them, hey, look, you know, you guys got to loosen the reins over here. All right. All right. I, it's, uh, I guess it's a form of self-deprecation also if you're in front of a crowd and the media is following you and you say we're a laughing stock to the world. Uh, I, Bob, don't you think when he said that, though, that he had to realize that he was also making reference to himself? Because if the city, if we're a laughing stock to the world and he's the mayor, he's in charge, then he's a laughing stock, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Right, no, no. This, uh, this is a reason. I mean, but how much longer is he going to keep going on saying all of these things he wants to do? You know, and nothing ever happens. Uh, you know, I mean, how long are we going to go through this until these people loosen up here? I mean, oh, until uh, until people like where you are, where I was yesterday, Bayside, Whitestone, College Point, decide to put up the for sale signs, Bob. Oh, yeah, I see it all the time. Believe yeah, we, me, uh, like I said, I grew up here in Bayside. I'm here all my Bob, life. Bob, you, know? you got to We got to We got to improve, not move. There is flight. The exodus continues, but we have to improve, not move. I see there are a lot of people here. They want to diss and dismiss Eric Adams. No, no, we're going to. You see, that Bob call, that was reasonable because I had never really thought of that as a strategy. Let's go to Douglas, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Douglas. Uh, Hey, Curtis. Good evening. Good show. Uh, I just want to know if Eric has. If Eric Adams inherited a disaster on January 1st or 2nd, how much time should we allow him to clean up that disaster? Well, I think you got to give him a lot of time. Unfortunately, he came right out of the box 
And he said, I get stuff done and I'm going to turn things around. You're going to notice it right away. Even uh, Bill Bratton, the former police commissioner, was one of his biggest supporters. He didn't support me for mayor, but he did support Eric Adams. He came on with John Katsimatidis on the 5 o'clock roundtable and actually said Eric should not be making promises that he can't keep. Should not be doing Mm -hmm. that. And let's face it, you got a brand new police commissioner, Sewell, that he tapped from the Nassau County Police Department. She was in charge Mm -hmm. of detectives. She has to learn the whole culture of the police department. He inherits a lot of problems from the de Blasio administration. Uh, He shouldn't have acted, uh, as Bratton said, uh, so quickly as if he could really make a change uh, overnight when, in fact, things, Douglas, have actually gotten worse. Some of it's his responsibility, but some of it, you're right, he's inherited uh, from Bill de Blasio, who defunded the police by a billion dollars. Yeah, he inherited a big mess. No, 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 that's all reasonable. See, this is reasonable. Let's go to uh, Woody, who's calling from Central Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Woody. Hey, Curtis. How are you? Um, quick, uh, you know, I have this uh, idea in my mind, and, uh, like, I was thinking about uh, uh, Fiorella LaGuardia when he used to go out and on those uh, police raids. Now, in these really hot spots where there's an, an astronomical amount of crime, uh Eric Adams should be placed in a trailer to do an overnight with the police force in these local hotspots, like maybe two or three nights a month. So he goes out and he sees what he can do to clean up the effort. And never mind the GQ look and all of that. I mean, we learn as we go as mayors, at, you know, we learn the job. But however, you have to be present, not absent. Well, see, uh, he certainly is far more proactive than Bill de Blasio ever was. Bill de Blasio, like, never left, especially when the pandemic and lockdown hit. Uh, he would do his daily press conference, which would bore us, and then he'd go to the Greenwood Cemetery and walk around for two hours going... So Eric Adams is definitely more proactive. The problem is, Woody, he's developing a reputation as photo op Eric because... He's saying things at these uh, press conferences, and then he can't possibly deliver on it. I I like the idea of being there overnight. See, just like the show, right? The other side of uh, midnight. Uh, In a trailer, out with the cops into the wee hours of the morning, breaking dawn. But this is the problem, Woody. He likes to sample the nightlife. He wants to revive the nightlife, which is really dead in New York City. So he's made it a point to go to Club uh, Zero Bond with the TikTok girls trying to be the Kardashians. And then also to Sugar Hill over in Brooklyn. He likes everyone to know that he he samples the nightlife. He's not a drinker. He's not a drugger. He likes the nightlife. But Woody, a little less of the nightlife and a little more being out with the police makes a lot of common sense to me, Woody. That's three bestions. And we've had from our callers. And in fact, at the end of this show, uh, we'll take uh, this hour. I think maybe we'll delete all those cuts that I uh, put together. Because they're not at City Hall. They're not going to listen to that. You know, yeah, this is Sliwa. You know, he's sour grapes because he lost. Oh, look, I didn't, uh, I didn't at all uh, doctor any of those tapes. That was Eric Adams himself. I just put him in a timeline so you could see the contradictions that he's had. But I'm going to send those first three calls that were very good suggestions, and hopefully Team Adams listens and applies some of it. Some of it. 
Won't be all of it, but maybe some of it. Let's go to Vinny in Bayside, uh, where I was yesterday with my Kumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, uh, in the annual St. Patrick's Day Parade, Vinny. Hey, uh, Curtis, how you doing? Curtis, about 20 years ago, I was in the city. I seen you at Penn Station. I was, I was flipping through the radio. I got to tell you, I, I liked you then, but you make my blood boil the way you're talking about Eric Adams. What could you have done any better? I think he's doing a great job. I think he's the perfect guy for the mayor. You didn't even get like 10% of the vote. You make my blood boil. I just want to tell you. I'm turning off the station. I'm sitting here with my father. We got 20 knuckles ready to go at you. Bayside, 358. Thanks, Curtis. Great job. Thank you, Vinny. Uh, you know, I hate to bust Vinny's bubble and his father, but I won Bayside and Whitestone and College Point and the Asian vote. Uh, I got 30% of the vote. Uh, but, uh, hey, look, he thinks he's doing a great job. I, I got to tell you, I was in Bayside in the morning with uh, Rudy at the diner. 35th Street uh, and Bell Boulevard before the parade. Oh, he was holding court. He was like the godfather. Uh, he was there with his son, Andrew, who was running for the Republican nomination to become the governor. Uh, and uh, Andrew was getting signatures. He's got to qualify against Lee Zeldin, uh, Rob Astorino, and uh, Harry Wilson. Uh, but unfortunately, as uh, we were going up and down some of the side streets before the parade started, because I had to get on my high horse back here to be with Anthony Weiner for the left-right on Saturday uh, afternoons. A lot of for sale signs. Just a lot of for sale signs. Now, what's happening is there is white flight uh, that's going to Florida, Georgia, especially North Carolina and Florida. Those are the big two. South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. Now, that white flight continues. So it's not hipsters and millennials. Uh, they're actually uh, digging in. But a lot of those homes in Bayside, Whitestone, and College Point are now being uh, bought by Asians, mostly Chinese, but a lot of other Asians. That's the growing population in the city. They're about 16% of the overall population, but they're growing. They're doing extraordinarily well in the public school system. They They don't send their kids to charter schools. They don't send their kids to private schools. It's been a huge benefit for public schools. And they're investing in businesses. Uh, they come over. Some of them can't even speak English. Uh, many of them are very impoverished. And they, they, they really want to live the American dream. It's mostly Chinese. Koreans are the second largest. But there are Asians from all over Southeast Asia who have moved into New York City. And they're even out in Staten Island now, moving in droves from Brooklyn to Staten Island. It's almost like replacing what was the white flight of my uh, my uncles and aunts who left Brooklyn, went across the Verrazano Bridge to Staten Island, then did a hop, skip, and a jump down to the Jersey Shore, Manalapan, Tom's River, and next stop, Florida. Uh, if you happen to be Jewish, you left Brooklyn over the Verrazano, you were in the Willowbrook area, Mid-Island, next thing you're over uh, Lakewood in New Jersey, uh, and then all of a sudden you decide, hey, I'm doing Aliyah. I'm going to Israel. But there's a lot of flight. A lot of flight. Anyway, let's go to uh, John, who's calling. Is this true all the way from Reno, Levada, uh, Nevada, John? Hey, Curtis, how are you? Uh, you see, I'm letting everybody slide here because I'm sending this uh, 
these tapes of suggestions to the Adams administration. And I don't want to do what I generally do, which is give callers a brisk and have to tell them, hey, don't ask me how I'm doing because I've had oh, better days. No, no, it's okay. All right, well, I'll jump right on Adams. Yes, okay. You know, Adams in New York City has the same problem that San Francisco and Los Angeles has. You've gone down the slippery slope of mental health. With mental health, it's never their fault. No matter how many times they relapse, no matter what they do, it's always your fault because you didn't have them housing, you didn't have them therapy, you didn't have them counseling, you didn't have them on their meds. By the time you put them on their meds, get them housing, get them counseling, and get them therapy, you spent enough money to send them to an Ivy League school. You cannot win. You've already gone down the slippery slope of mental health. That is why they let the Asians uh, eventually run the city like they did in San Francisco. And the Asians will tell the people no, and they will cut off the mental health like they're starting to do in San Francisco. Once you go down that slippery slope of mental health, you're really up the creek without a doubt. Now, let's be honest, John. I've been to Reno. You know what Reno is like. The reason you want things to get better in San Francisco is when things are bad in Frisco because people are escaping in droves as they are in New York. We're the two cities with the most population laws. You know where they go? Through the pass where it's snowing and then into the valley and Reno. And all of a sudden, they're going to the the penny. Uh, They're playing the penny slots, right? You see them every day, right, John? I don't go to the casinos. I, uh, yeah, I yeah, no, you don't. No, 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 no. They ain't going to Lake Tahoe, uh, the upscale casinos. They're coming to play the penny slots in Reno, Nevada. Boy, that's why I'd like to see Frank Morano who's coming up at one. You know, he loves Atlantic City. He's never, I don't think he's ever been to Reno or Lake Tahoe. Only Vegas. Oh, you're not a true gambler unless you've been down on your luck in Reno or Lake Tahoe. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. This was the number one hit, Soul Makosa, which means, whatever African language it is, I dance. And let's face it, that was an era when you got off of your tukus, your dupa, took to the floor, and feet don't fail me now, you are a dancing man and dancing woman. Or you just sat on the sideline like a schlub and watched like so many guys did. Oh, here it comes. Yeah. See, I do the Patty Duke, the bump. It was great. And if you wanted to hustle to this tune, you could do that too. Oh, had no idea what the guy was saying. He's from Cameroon, recently passed away. A one-hit wonder, Emmanuel 
Debongo or something like that. I had no idea, but what a song it was. You remember? Ah, Auga, Auga, raise the roof. So now, the reason I play this song is it well could have been the song played for the Cinderella team out of Jersey City, St. Peter's, and the NCAA Sweet 16 with a possible entry into the Final Four. And I know that everyone out there was all for touch. They were all, I mean, they were like pumped. They couldn't even find Jersey City on a map, but oh, they were like St. Peter's f- uh, fans, you know, instant paraphernalia running around. I'm going to get to that momentarily. But um, earlier today, before the start of the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Bay Ridges, I was walking down 3rd Avenue with the Guardian Angels. I stopped at the Kettle Black. This is the big Irish bar. I mean, it's huge, but it's also a sports bar, and they take a lot of action. Yeah, we're not talking the legal stuff because the illegal stuff means they they, they loan you money. Uh, you know, the credit card basically loans you money when you're playing the app, right? You got to pay the vig there. But in Bay Ridge, where there used to be so many wire rooms, the fact that you can bet legally on action now, and they're expecting. Once the NCAA um, uh, Sweet 16 is over, that they will have made in New York State anywhere from three ten billion billion. Now, most of that would have gone into the coffers years ago of the Columbos, Lucchese's, Bananos, Genovese, and Gambinos because they controlled it. It was illegal to gamble. And remember, they would give you, they would lend you money. They wanted to lend you money because then you'd have to be paying the points, the VIG, and they'd end up stuffing your leg in your pocket and take your business and take everything, including your jockstrap. They'd leave you out in the middle of 3rd Avenue outside of the Kettle Black. So I'm passing the Kettle Black, and I said, was I the only one, was I the only one who saw this the other day when the Cinderella team from Jersey City unexpectedly beat Purdue, the Boilermakers. Uh, Because my wife, uh, she played basketball in high school uh, out there in Bohemia. I don't know, it was Quinnica Quad uh, High School or whatever in the middle of nowhere, Suffolk County. So she loves to watch, especially the Sweet 16. She's telling her what they should do. You're not not passing enough. You know, you're a ball hog. You know, it's like, shoot, shoot. And she's yelling at the screen. And I'm like, really? So she goes, Curtis, you got to look at this. This is really good. So I look at the Purdue uh, Boilermakers, the favorite, against Jersey City the other night. And I got this big guy in the middle, right there in the paint, right next to the rim. He had to be like seven foot tall. He looked like, uh, uh, I guess the best equivalent for him was like um, in the Adams family, uh, the butler there. Who was that butler there, if you remember? Lurch. He looked like Lurch, except with black hair. And all they were doing was putting a high pass in, and he was just trying to curl it off the rim. And even then, he wasn't doing a very good job. So they they took him out. And I go way back. I remember a sharpshooter named Rick Mount, who was the only kid out of high school who was ever put on Sports Illustrated, the front cover. I used to get Sports Illustrated every week. And it was a high school guy, Rick Mount. Because, man... They were mad crazy and still are in Indiana about basketball. And even though a lot of people like to go to Indiana University, that's where Bobby Knight was a coach. Uh, it was a place that many have gone. And Rick Mount would shoot like 40 feet sh- shots in the net. This is before three points. 
And he was drafted into the ABA, and he just never had a great pro career. So I remember the Purdue Boilermakers. So I'm watching the game, and I'm saying, wow, St. Peter's. These two guards are there. It's the, the black young man and the white young man. They're really good. They drive to the hoop. They're constantly driving to the hoop. They're getting fouled, and they're going to the foul line, and they're wearing down the Purdue Boilermakers, who were much bigger and apparently had better basketball pedigree than them. And then unexpectedly, St. Peter's won. A Cinderella wave. 67. Four seconds left. They don't like the foul, remember. Ivy for the tie. Off the rim, and it's over. This miracle run continues for St. Peter's. The Peacocks make history. The first 15 seed to the Elite Eight. In NCAA tournament lore, 67-64, St. Peter's has done it. They have upset Purdue. And it was quite an upset. So I'm watching them as they're frolicking on the hardwood. And the white kid, the guard, he's got a mustache. He jumps up on the table. You think he's Kobe Bryant. What do you should do with the lady? I don't know what the hell he was doing. But anyway, he's like leading the, the chant of the supporters. And then I saw something that stunned me. All of his teammates, whether they had started or they were on the bench, were now wearing Black Lives Matter shirts that had replaced their jerseys. I said, what? What? I had flashbacks, nightmares from the summer of 2020. All the rioting, the looting, the shooting, athletes, pampered, millionaire athletes. You know, we're not going to play. You know, Black Lives Matter and all. Integrating politics into sport. It's the one time we all get an opportunity to retreat from the day-to-day norms of being faced with all these consequences uh, of actions that politicians take, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. And it's the one time you get to escape. That's the great thing about sports. And they ruined it. They ruined it in the NCAA, ruined it in the NBA, ruined it in the NFL, ruined it for Major League Baseball. When I saw the Yankees taking a knee, for Black Lives Matter, I said, that to me was with disgraziata shanda. I said, that's it. I mean, it was uh, bad enough that the year before, Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, former deputy mayor of uh, Rudy Giuliani, number one Yankee fan who, uh, like, worshipped Yogi Berra, you know, number eight, whereas I was a Mickey Mantle fan. Randy Levine no longer did Kate Smith, God bless America, in the seventh inning stretch because somebody apparently claimed that Kate Smith had said some racist things in songs in the 30s. And I pointed out to them, wait a second, she sang duets with Paul Robeson, who at the time was a great, great baritone black singer. He went to Rutgers University, was an all-American tight end, but he was also a card-carrying communist who got snookered by Stalin. But the point is, he was singing some of those words, and he was a very proud, righteous black guy. So they did away with Kate Smith. Gone. Remember outside of the Spectrum in Philadelphia, they tore down her statue. Gone. Thank God for Wildwood, New Jersey. They rescued the statue, and they play God Bless America, Kate Smith, every morning when you're out there for your daily walk. Wildwood kept the tradition alive, 
And I've never forgiven the Yankees or Randy Levine since. That was a year before Black Lives Matter. So Black Lives Matter added insult to injury. I said, how dare they wear Black Lives Matter shirts, especially in the aftermath of knowing how corrupt the organization Black Lives Matter was and is. All three of the leaders, the women who created Black Lives Matter, in fact, uh, I think it first became aware of Black Lives Matter in the aftermath when that jury acquitted, uh, who was that, Gavon uh, there who killed uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. He had that Hispanic name. It'll come to me momentarily. But anyway, uh, it, it, uh, it, it, it occurred at that point that Black Lives Matter came to our attention. And then all of a sudden, uh, out in Staten Island, where a corner occurred in 2014, it just became larger at that point. And then when you actually study Black Lives Matter, you know that it was an organization that was out to destroy the nuclear family of America. They worship the likes of Joanne Chesimard, a.k.a. Asada Shakur, a cop killer, who went on the lam and was given sanctuary behind the sugarcane curtain of Fidel and Raul Castro, still is there. And Angela Davis. Oh, she broke my heart, Angela Davis. George Jackson and the Soledad brothers. Uh, and she went to trial in San Jose for helping them break out, and they acquitted her. Uh, I thought she, I thought her and I, you know, then I found out, like Joan Jett, she really didn't like guys. Broke my heart. But she was a card-carrying, and is to this day, as she resides in Birmingham, Alabama, a card-carrying communist. They were the motivations. For Black Lives Matter, a ripoff organization. It took millions of dollars that was donated in the summer of 2020 and spent it on whatever they wanted to. It, 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 so the money's all gone. It's gone. The three leaders are gone. And yet here it is. St. Peter's is running out onto the hardwood to celebrate their victory against Purdue, unexpected to get into the Sweet 16. And they're wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. I didn't see Purdue wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. I didn't see North Carolina today wearing Black Lives Matter shirts as they whooped St. Peter's 69-49. Bravo, bravo. And I know a lot of you is, come on, Curtis, come on. You know, they're just teenagers, young adults. No. No, I take it personally. I was in the streets in 2020 with the Guardian Angels, stopping the looting and shooting, battling Black Lives Matter and Antifa. When Bill de Blasio, the mayor, told the police to step down, and our present mayor, Eric Adams, was painting Black Lives Matter in the streets of New York City every day with who else? Bill de Blasio, Al Slim, Shady Sharpton, and Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. Oh, please, reelect me, please. How quickly we forget. But I know some of you, you're like, come on, Curtis, come on. Look, I, I had Jersey City in the pool, right? In the pool. That's all you cared about, winning the pool and the odds, the overrun, the point spread. That's all you cared about. But did you feel like I felt like the guys at the Kettle Black felt on 3rd Avenue said, nah, I can't support St. Peter's? You know, it would be a good bet. Let's face it. They weren't the favorite. They got clobbered by North Carolina. The spirit of Michael Jordan was upon them. Thank God. And look, it was a nice story. Shaheen Holloway, the coach, uh, his uh, lovely wife, Kim, an interracial couple. It just had a nice feel to it. 
And a lot of people say, oh, Curtis, you're just upset because the Jesuits kicked you out in your senior year of Brooklyn Prep, shine their boots on your backside. I never look back. Hey, look, St. Peter's uh, run by Jesuits, the high school there in Jersey City, and yes, the college that nobody really knew about. But to me, justice was done when St. Peter's got crushed by the ghost of Michael Jordan in North Carolina today in Philadelphia. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I would bet you that our own Joe Nolan, who does traffic in the mornings for Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, is at some gin mill in the Heights. Uh, just crying into beer because Joe Nolan for years knew every cop in Jersey City, was related to every cop in Jersey City. He would go bar hopping, pub hopping all over the place. Although he doesn't strike me like he'd be hanging out in Grove Street with all the hipsters and millennials now. But the old Irish sod there, Joe Nolan, he's probably all upset. Good for you, Joe! And I'm saying to myself, all the time I spent in Jersey City, Grove Street, right by City Hall, the Heights, Journal Square, oh, Journal Square. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> knuckle draggers galore. It's like zombies in Dawn of the Dead. In the middle of nowhere, this is huge, almost skyscraper, like you get off the path train. The old journal was there. They don't publish there anymore. I love that, that newspaper. That was great. Exchange Place. You ever get off there on the path train exchange picture? Am I underwater? Am I still under Hudson River? <laughs> Newport? And then, if you really want to be adventurous, Greenville. Oh, you need a bulletproof body calm then to get through there. So I know everybody out there, oh, they're crying. They're sitting shiver. They're passing the hamantashen. Joe Nolan is crying in the, the green beer that they drink there in Jersey City. I think it's some of you, uh, you graduated Dickinson high on the hill there, right? You come right out of the tunnel, you see Dickinson, you say, my God, you need an oxygen mask to go to that high school. And then there's Ferris and Snyder. The tunnel to nowhere. As you pass the old Topps baseball card factory in which they used to have armed guards there for all the printers who would print. You'd say, I want that job to print the Topps baseball cards. They would search you. You would have to strip down to your BVDs because baseball cards, as you know, are so valuable. Some of them sell now for millions of dollars. And then all of a sudden, that W.D. Scraziata, Bobby Menendez, the most crooked of all crooked senators up on the hill, who controls the most crooked democratic machine in all of America, and that's saying a lot. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Menendez and the Hudson County Democratic Machine. Oh, my God. What was he wearing, a 5X throwback St. Peter's uh, jersey? The guy's so huge, you know, he's got lard-ass syndrome, like all those politicians in D.C. Was his friend... The Florida Eye Doctor, Solomon Melgin there, the guy who ripped off Medicaid more than any other doctor in the history of Medicaid, who procured prostitutes in the DR when they were traveled. Yes, prostitution is legal in the DR. And remember, the prostitutes uh, did that YouTube video and they said that Bobby Menendez is a cheapskate. He didn't even leave us pesos as a tip. Not even pesos. And the corruption in Jersey City, I'm thinking back, the most corrupt city of the so many corrupt cities in New York and New Jersey, the Soprano State. Thinking back, Gerald McCann, remember? 
Gerald McCann got 33 months in the federal prison as the Jersey City mayor. Speaking of 33 months, who was that? Frank Hague, the boss of all bosses who ran Tammany Hall there for the Democrats. He was mayor for 30 years. You think he was supposed to child for term limits? And then his chosen one, Gengemi, the Italian guy. Listen to what this schmuck, this putz did. He goes, oh, I want to travel back to where I was birthed in Italy. He goes for a passport, and they say, you're an illegal alien. No, I'm not. I'm a citizen. No, you're an illegal alien. And they locked him up, and he had to resign as mayor of Jersey City. An illegal alien mayor of Jersey City. Unbelievable. And then, oh, Jeremiah the bullfrog, Jeremiah Healy. So he's out. It's a hot, sweltering night in July. He's on his porch in Jersey City. Buck naked, drinking Rheingold. For that alone, they should have locked him up. So somebody took pictures of him on his porch, totally naked, with a can of Rheingold in his hand. And actually, that went into the newspapers and went viral. And then he blamed it. He said, I'm blaming it on these three young Latino women who were banging garbage cans. I was schwitzing in my bed. It was so hot. My air conditioning wasn't working. I put a towel on. I wanted to go outside and see what the ruckus was about. And when I got out there, they started laughing at me, and they wanted me to do filthy things to them. And I said, I don't do those kind of things. And I felt like I was in Ocal Cutter with that towel around me. And then I dropped the towel. And that's how that paparazzi got that photograph. By the way, this same man, Jeremiah Healy, goes to Bradley Beach on the Jersey Shore and he knocks out a few cops. And they had to lock up the mayor of Jersey City. That's how corrupt Jersey City was and is. Let's open up our phone lines in honor of Joe Nolan, who is sitting shiver today for the loss, thank God, of St. Peter's. To North Carolina, 6949, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But you may have remembered there was a singular, uncorruptible individual, could have been governor of New Jersey. He came close. But did become the mayor, a Republican who became the mayor of the largest city in corrupt Hudson County because there were like 12 Democrats running. They were so greedy. No Republican could ever win, even if 12 of us are beating each other over their heads. And Brett Schundler won the mayoralty unexpectedly at Jersey City. And he was uncorruptible. He's there now. He runs a charter school. And this was right at the time that Rudy Giuliani had been elected mayor. And so Rudy is dealing with crime, something that Eric Adams is like, I was short day late. I'm Rudy right into it and didn't realize that Brent Schundler was having meetings with Fortune 500 companies in Wall Street and encouraging them to come to the new Wall Street. Just come in on the path train. Come exchange place. Go mine sacks. All the big Fortune 500 companies. Rudy one day says, where the hell are all these companies going? Who the hell is bribing them to come? And then he said, a fellow Republican would do this to me? And Brett said, no, a fellow New Jersey Republican. I got to think about my people. My people in Jersey City got to eat. He stood up to Rudy Giuliani. And then Rudy started offering humongous subsidies corporate welfare to keep those Fortune 500 companies in Wall Street. But the compromise was 
The main office would be in Wall Street in downtown Manhattan, but the secondary office would be right across the Hudson River in exchange place. And now you know the rest of the story. I campaigned for Brett Schindler when he ran for governor twice. I lost. And then he was appointed uh, czar of the state educational system in Trenton for Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, who was the I and me guy. So apparently, uh, Brett Shannon was filling out some paperwork. As a guy knows all about public education, charter schools, parochial schools. He's the best. And um, he didn't defer to Shamu. And Shamu called Brett Shannon a liar. Bridgegate Shamu, El Jefe Chris Christie, calls Brent Shannon, who's uncorruptible, a liar. Who do you think lied? you think it was Brett Shundler, or do you think it was Mr. Bridgegate? He still hasn't told the truth. Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pam, who's calling from Reading, Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Hey, Curtis. I saw you on uh, doing the marathon on 84th Street, going downtown the west side, and we gave a thumbs up to each other. I'm a big Republican, and my kids have gone to Jesuit schools, and I'm sad now. I just have to say I'm so I, I'm so sad about St. Peter's that I will. I, my daughter asked me if I was watching the playoff game today, and I said, no, I will never watch a BLM game again. You're a good guy. I love you. I wish I could vote for you, but my Connecticut town is like, Look, look, Pam, if you had been a Democrat in Connecticut, you could have voted for me four or five, six times. It would have counted. That's how it is. And even in my little <laughs> wedding town of, of 9,000 people turned Republican five or six years ago. It's but, like but, but, but Pam, Pam, aren't you amazed what? that more people didn't look at that celebration scene the uh, like the old wide world of sports, the thrill of victory for St. Peter's, yep. the Cinderella team, the agony of defeat for the Purdue Boilermakers. And rightfully, yep. they're celebrating with their fans. They're down on the hardwood. And then all of a sudden, they had been wearing their jerseys that said St. Peter's and their number on the back, whether they were starters or scrubs. And now they're all wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. I was like, never, never. I am not supporting them. I'm not either. My kids went to uh, to liberal colleges, Marquette University in uh, Milwaukee, Mad- uh, Wisconsin, and they've turned. I'm sad. The other four kids are big conservatives. But it, it's amazing. So hoping- it's amazing. If this was the summer of 2020 with the rioting, shooting and looting after uh, George Floyd was killed uh, by the police in South Minneapolis, uh, there would have been people calling up, absolutely not. I'm not going to support them. In fact, uh, having been in Bay Ridge earlier, I had a little bit of a flashback for the annual. Oh, my God, I'm knocking everything over. I'm 68. I just had my birthday. I got the Jake Lake here. Well, maybe because I was in Bay Ridge and I smelled the foam of all the beer in those Irish gin mills. So I was in my flashback mode. I'm walking on Third Avenue. I'm walking with the Republicans. I'm right behind Nicole Maliotakis, some of the local elected officials. The Democrats, naturally, are ahead. They wanted no part of me. They say, 
You keep Curtis with you. So I'm walking along with the guardian angels, nice crowd. And I'm saying, you know, I can remember. Slowly I turned step by step. It was um, July, I believe, of 2020, the summer. And it was one of the first Blue Lives Matter marches, to their credit. Blue Lives Matter. People were afraid, remember, to go out and support the police in marches. But I remember one of the first was right there in Bay Ridge. It went to 13th Avenue and Bay Ridge Avenue and Dyker Heights. They went all through Bay Ridge, about 300 men and women to support the police. They were led by former state senator Marty Golden, who I saw in the parade. I had to run up, run up to catch his car. People were like, hey, what happened, Curtis? Don't let a cab hit you again. And I had to high-five him as he was in the lead car. I think he was the grand marshal. And I remember Nicole Maliotakis was also there. She was not the congresswoman yet. I don't believe, no. In fact, Max Rose was the congressman. And she was in that rally. No matter, attacked him. Attack them. This is America. You have the right to assemble as Black Lives Matter has or Antifa or any of those groups as long as you're peaceful. So here were 300 members of the community, mostly from Bay Ridge and Diker Heights, marching through the streets. Blue Lives Matter, one of the first parades. To their credit, there was Marty Golden, Nicole Maliotakis, a lot of the other elected officials is like, Give me a call. Let me know how it went. Because Black Lives Matter was saying, we're going to attack you. And they did. But the residents of uh, Bay Ridge and Dyker Heights, they weren't having it. They fought off Black Lives Matter. It was vicious. It was vicious out there. The summer of 2020 was all anarchy. Remember, that's when I was battling Antifa Black Lives Matter. I had the broken jaw. You remember seeing the video as we were fighting in Soho. So I had those memories. And then in addition, I didn't see Max Rose, who's now challenging Nicole Maliotakis for the seat that he lost to her. But I said, oh, my God, this guy who had the full package as a Democrat, he was a moderate Democrat, hated de Blasio publicly and hated Jimmy Dolan of the Knicks, who I hate. Actually, we share that. Andrew Yang hates him. I hate Jimmy Dolan. The world hates Jimmy Dolan. Max Rose hates Jimmy Dolan, as Nick fans, as all of us are. And as a result, Jim Dolan gave a huge contribution to Nicole Maliotakis. But that's not why Maxwell is lost. It's not. He didn't lose on the money end. He had a lot of money. I'll never forget. He joined Black Lives Matter on Staten Island. He marched down Highland Boulevard to the 122nd precinct in which Black Lives Matter was screaming, defund the police, blue lives murder, no racist police, hands up, don't shoot. What the hell was Max Rose doing with Black Lives Matter? That's where he lost his congressional seat. The people of Staten Island and Brooklyn turned on him. Now, circumstances have changed. You know, what they've done is uh, rejigger the lines, the congressional lines. It's a Rorschach test. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Park Slope, Sunset Park, Gowanus. I know there are no Republicans there. I tried to find them when I was running for mayor. Nothing, Bupkis. <laughs> Nothing. And now that's been added to the congressional district and some of the Republican areas taken away. So Nicole has got quite a battle against the reinvigorated Max Rose. I want my seat back. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, I know some of you, you've had your, your ups and downs with Nicole Maliotakis, the congresswoman, just like you have with me, let's be honest. You, we weren't totally on board on everything. But this is Max Rose. He marched with Black Lives Matter as they screamed, defund the police, blue lives murder. I will never forget that. And a hero as he was, he served in Afghanistan honorably. Why he would do that is beyond me. It cost him the election, rightfully so. You see, all of that came to me today when I was in Bay Ridge, and I didn't have one drink, either before or after the St. Patrick's Day Parade. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go. Hold on. I got to go to Tom here in Hoboken because it's part of the corrupt area that we call Hudson County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Curtis was cooking. Say that uh, were, you, were you rooting for St. Peter's for that or no? He said no, right? Uh, Tom, could you repeat that one more time? Uh, well, I would say, yeah, uh, you were not rooting for St. Peter's, were you, tonight? No. Hell no! Yeah, all right. That's all right. Uh, we, yeah, we, it's, going, it's going off. Over here, I mean Hoboken, but I mean, uh, you know, we were going bananas over here. Let me ask you a question. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question, Tom. Be honest with me. Go ahead. You've been you are doing some pre-celebration, weren't you? Well, I mean, I'm in, I'm lying in bed right now, but now, well, yeah, look, yeah, we in were. your condition, it's good you're lying in bed. <laughs> look, you were on Washington Street. That's one mile. All bars, all gin mills in Hoboken. That was going uh, crazy. Yeah, actually, yeah, that I was, but I was. I live on Adams Street, so I was a couple blocks off. But yeah, not far from Washington. So naturally, uh, not you necessarily, Tom, because you have that accent that says to me you're a local. You're like so many people, most of these hips, most of these hipsters and millennials couldn't find St. Peter's College if their life depended on it in Jersey City. Very good point. Very good point. But what was uh, what was that, Tom? That was the summer of 2020. It's now 2022, and with the thrill of victory, they took off their St. Peter's jerseys and then put on Black Lives Matter jerseys. What was that about? Uh, pretty disgusting. Uh, I mean, I, I can't speak to that, but yeah, it was pretty gross to watch that happen. Uh, I, mean, I was just more excited about the basketball part of it. You know, the whole town was you know going nuts. Kind of. Yeah, people are gonna, you know, college kids are gonna do what they want to do. Anyhow, I mean, you're right. You're totally right. No, well, look, uh, I'm gonna let you uh, sleep it off, Tom. Probably lost a load of money in Washington Street. All those gin mills, they take action. Although they got the app there in Jersey too. And let's face it, the favorite was Michael Jordan, the ghost of Michael Jordan with North Carolina. And you could have gotten a massive payout if you had bet on Jersey City. I am so happy that they lost. Because when they lost, Black Lives Matter lost. A corrupt organization that they should have a RICO conspiracy act put against them to find out where did all the money go? They can't account for one nickel, dime, or penny. That was extortion money. 
white CEOs and COOs and CFOs who are getting all nervous. Oh, Black Lives Matter, they may destroy our property. Let's put up big flags and big posters. Black Lives Matter. White lives don't matter. Asian lives don't matter. None of those lives matter. Only black people. Please don't hurt our property. Please. How much? How much? Oh, 500000 A million? Good old-fashioned extortion. Where did all that money go? And by the way, if I walked out into the street right now in front of the St. Peter's team that obviously is crestfallen, and I said, hey, guys, do Ukrainian lives matter? Can I say that? No, no, only black lives matter. You're a racist. No, no, Ukrainian lives matter, right? No, no, a thousand times no. Yes, they do. All lives matter. Oofa. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with the Twilight comeback. More But tonight. Don't call it a comeback. No comeback for you, St. Peter's. When you sided with Black Lives Matter, Cinderella went to sleep, pal. I couldn't believe that. I mean, here it is. It was the story of the NCAA tournament. It had the full package. And then you ruined it when you took your jerseys off, thrilled with victory and not the defeat against the Purdue Boilermakers. And then you're styling and profiling Black Lives Matter jerseys. A double oofa to you. I lit candles. I prayed. I haven't prayed in a month of Sundays. I did Hail Marys, Our Fathers. I did prayers in Yiddish that I didn't even know what they meant out of the Torah. And I said to myself, anything. Make them Hashem JC pay the price against the spirit of Michael Jordan's. North Carolina team crushed them before a national audience, 69 of 49. And I didn't see anyone in North Carolina wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. Just as many African Americans playing b-ball for them as playing for Jersey City's St. Peter's. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Eric calling from uh, Monmouth. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Eric. Hey, what's up, Curtis? Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Eric. Uh, don't tell hey, me. Yeah. Don't hey, tell Curtis, me. You yeah. be, you've been in a post. Yesterday. Yes. Remember you were campaigning for uh, Brett Shuttler? Yeah, you remember? You... Remember, I gave him the op- I gave the opening speech at the uh, exchange place in Jersey when he was running for governor. And I took the house down. The place was packed with about 4,000 people. Brett Schindler, the most honest guy. That's saying a lot because I don't trust politicians, period. I walked the streets for that guy. I went door to door for that motherfucker. Keep going. I'm sorry. They've been drinking there, you see? Crying in their beer. The St. Peter's lost. Good for them. Meantime, the guy's got to wash his mouth out with uh, Fells Nap the Soap. I don't think he's Jewish, because then it would have to be Rokish, the laundry soap. <laughs> Sounded like a real Gentile to me. Half in the bag. 
Yeah, I wonder where Joe Nolan is. That's right, the traffic guy for Bernard McGurk and Sid Rosenberg, uh, all those years, going back to Imus in the morning. He knows every cop, every Irish cop in Jersey City. He's been in every gin mill. They've dragged him out of there like 3, 4 in the morning. You think he's crying in his, his Irish beer today? Good for you, Joe. Let's go to Al in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here. WABC, Al. Uh, Curtis, I love this Jersey City rant. I grew up in Jersey City in the 60s and the 50s, and you were even too easy on them. It is the most corrupt, <laughs> disgusting place on earth. And St. Peter's was on the top of the list. I was so happy that they got blown away and shown to be the high school team that they are. Yeah, not not only that, most people don't know that in Jersey City, they had an illegal alien who was their mayor, Ganjemi. Oh, well, I, well, you see, but, but the thing was, you didn't even mention Whalen, though. Oh. Do you remember Tom Whalen? No, the no, fill steals, me in. Fill me in on that, Tommy the guy, Whalen. The guy steals, Curtis, the guy steals 3-0. He was Kenny's boy. They get him. They, the feds convicted him. They send him to the uh, pen for like four years, and he gets to keep the money. Yeah, that sounds like Jersey City. <laughs> it's total Jersey City. I mean, I am a total byproduct. It's like uh, with all the yuppies coming in in the late, um, you know, 80s where they, where they discovered it. We've had the waterfront for all those years, and it's at the most disgusting place. And I'm a product of all the public schools over there, the public high schools. Now, which one did and you go to, Dickinson, Snyder, to, or Ferris? Oh, oh, you know, I went to Snyder. Oh. We used to have, we used to have like ten fire alarms a day. No kidding around. It no, was, it oh. was, uh, Snyder was wild, <laughs> and you know, I tell people, people who they know Jersey City now, they know because let's face it, it has exchange plays. It has oh, yeah. uh, all the hipsters and millennials who come in. Right. They got Mayor right. Fullapoos, another graduate of Goldmine Sachs. And then I say, oh, no, 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 we got to go to Greenville. We got to go to Greenville. And they say, oh, yeah, 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 we'll go prospect. We'll take a look at apartments here in Greenville. I said, hipsters and millennials, you will need a bulletproof body condom to survive that visit. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I'm so happy that Jersey City, Jersey City, St. Peter's College basketball team, the Cinderella team of Sweet 16, thought they were going to get into the Final Four, but supported Black Lives Matter in the thrill of victory and not the agony of defeat against Purdue, the Boilermakers, got crushed by North Carolina today in Philadelphia before a national audience. Let's go to Gary, who's calling from Middletown. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Yeah, how you doing, Curtis? Uh, I'm talking about the BLM thing. I'm a long time. I lived in Hudson County. I'm from Middletown, Jersey now. And to watch that team, I have friends that dedicate their lives to St. Peter's. And I'm not into basketball the way it used to be because of what's going on. But anyway, you know, when I saw that, let me ask you a question. Is there any other team that was in that tournament that had anything that had to do with BLM? racism on their jerseys and it's being brought up as a 12 year catholic raised man yeah i tell you uh, gary i i i, 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 I really wasn't following uh the qualifying rounds uh 
Uh, I pretty much had it with NCAA basketball when they did a whole Black Lives Matter routine in the summer of 2020. I've had it with uh, the Yankees even before that when they removed Kate Smith singing. Uh, you know, obviously she passed away, so they have the recording. Uh, this was Randy Levine. I even said to Rudy Giuliani, who worships Yogi Parrot, number eight, I said, well, what happened to Randy? He's your deputy mayor. He goes, I don't know. They took Kate Smith. Well, what did she do wrong? God bless America. That's one of the most patriotic songs you ever. Going to Yankee Stadium, seventh inning stretch. Even if the Yankees were losing, you knew you could get up and bust your buttons and bridges with pride. And to George Steinbrenner's credit, he made sure that that was always played. I hated George Steinbrenner, to be honest with you. But he did right by that. Randy Levine. The other day in the parking lot at City Field when Eric Adams stabbed all the civil servants uh, in the backs by allowing millionaire ball players like tonight, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets, he doesn't get vaccinated, but he gets to make his millions for billionaire owners. And then says, Eric Adams said in City Field at the Jackie Robinson Rotunda, but screw you little people, you civil servants. You'll never get your jobs back or back pay. I was out there with Andrew Giuliani, Andrew Giuliani, right, number one Yankee fan. Remember, they've done Saturday Night Live skits about him in the stands at Yankee Stadium. He goes, oh, it's Randy Levine. Eh, I ain't going up to him. No way. And then we know what happened. Steve Cohen, who donated $1.5 million to a pack for Eric Adams that he needed in the Democratic primary. He didn't need it against me. He had overwhelming amounts of money. But in the Democratic primary, it was neck and neck with ranked choice voting against Maya Wiley, the AOC candidate. And naturally, uh, the real danger to him was uh, uh, Kathy Garcia, uh, who was the fix-it gal, always fixed up whatever went wrong in the de Blasio administration. So he he used that $1.5 from Steve Cohen. So you think when Steve Cohen looked at his roster and he goes, Sandy, how many guys have I vaccinated as GM? Hey, Steve, like six. He, he, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him a hundred thousand dollars to get vaccinated. No, I'm not going to get vaccinated. You know, Steve Cohen picked up the phone and said, "Have I spoken to you since the election, Eric? No. Have I ever asked you for a favor? No. This time you got to deliver. It's a quid pro quo. You gotta, you gotta carve out an exemption for baseball players." Basketball players, performers on Broadway, let the little people go without unemployment. All these people who are fired from the city for not getting a vaccine. 1,500 heroes, firefighters, police officers, sanitation workers, and healthcare workers who crawled into the belly of the beast when coronavirus hit March of 2020. Killing people, remember, killing people, and yet they went in each and every day. They were heroes. We turned them into zeros, and then they fired them. And a lot of people don't realize not only were they put on the shelf pending being fired, they were not permitted to go out and get another job to support their family, and they can't get unemployment. And there's Eric Adams carrying on the policy of his comrade, Bill de Blasio. That's why he is de Blasio 2.0. And boy, is he catching flack for that. Let's go to Rob calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rob. Hey, Curtis. How you doing? No, 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 no. I can't let it go any further. 
I know it's my birthday. I try to turn a different leaf. I try to overlook these kind of things that other talk show hosts and hostesses. They're so happy to have anybody call them. Uh, they get into these five-minute discussions. How you doing? Oh, my wife and kids are good. Really? How are your wife and kids? Everybody out there, understand this. Don't ask me how I'm doing. Because if you do, I'm going to tell you I've had better days. Don't call up and thank me for taking your call. I've been soliciting your calls all night long. I should be thanking you. Don't ever use the Koyokio. Ah, first time caller, long time listener. Hey, are you off? I can't use that word. Uh, let's go to Joseph in Belmont. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Joey. Ah, Steve from Manhattan. See, Steve can be Steve from Manhattan here on the... I don't know, what are we calling this show? Still, uh, Frank Morano still hasn't chosen the name yet out of the 382 suggestions when he had a hissy fit. Because, you know, he's the golden child here at WABC. You can do no wrong. Oh, Frank Morano. Oh, my God. Here is interviews. My God, next he's going to be on 60 Minutes. You know, they're going to tell the guy who does cameo appearances uh, from uh, from uh, CNN. You know, well, what's his name, the guy from CNN, you know, who does those cameo appearances? Anderson Cooper. They're going to say, Anderson, stay home. Frank Morano's going to do that interview. So now he's a golden chair. He gets to pick the name of the show I do on the weekends. What, what hubris. What chutzpah. I still don't know what that name is. 1-800-848-9222. WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. When this song came out by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Ronald Reagan uh, culturally appropriated it as a jingoistic all-American song when it was an anti-Vietnam War song. And Springsteen didn't say anything at the time because it went, it shot up to number one. I'll never forget being at the L.A. Olympics. That's right. None of those Soviet Ruskies. They, they boycotted, uh, we boycotted them, Jimmy Carter, and they boycotted us. Like, wow, who cares? But this, I never forget, Bruce Springsteen, he didn't object like, you know, he would object if Trump had pro, uh, procured one of his songs. Uh, Ronald Reagan said, this great patriot, Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey, it's a great patriotic song about America. Bruce, say quiet, quiet. Wow, look at the record sales. Wow, it's putting the East Street Band on the map internationally. Then later on, he'd say, well, it wasn't really a patriotic song. It was a diss and dismiss against the Vietnam War. Anyway, let's go to the phones. <laughs> and uh, let's go to John, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be already at WABC, John. 
Now, see, he's talking, but the algorithm has interfered with his ability to communicate with us because now we're all guided by these algorithms, uh, artificial intelligence. Elon Musk has said the world will be ruled by artificial intelligence. And scientists have warned us as good as artificial intelligence will be, ultimately, those with artificial intelligence will turn on us and destroy us. See what happens? That's what happened with John in Staten Island. The algorithms picked it up. He was cursing. So if you notice, they basically digitized him so that we wouldn't be in jeopardy of losing our FCC license. That's artificial intelligence. Because he probably would have said words that I would have found to be common street language, would never have known that they were a violation of the FCC. But the algorithms, they rule. Let's go to Peter in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Peter. Hey, Curtis. I think your last caller, I think he was... uh getting rid of some of the alcohol from the celebration today in the porcelain palace. And uh, the other thing with the uh, St. Peter's team, I got turned off because with the Black Lives Matter shirts, that wasn't all. They did not shake hands with the Purdue team at the end of the game, and that's bad sportsmanship. When I played for Newdorf, I was known for shaking hands with the uh, players, uh, especially the, uh, the linesmen with like mud in my hands. I would pick up some mud and shake hands, but you know, and they would know that it was mud. They would think it was something else. But the thing about not shaking hands with the team, that really turned me off. And that made me make a nice wager on North Carolina today over at Fandor's. So, uh, well, I'm telling you, Peter, look, uh, these young men, um, clearly we're acting very immaturely thinking like, wow, this is the opportunity to showcase Black Lives Matter again. They didn't shake hands. I give them a pass on that. Look, let's face it. They didn't think they would win. They didn't think they would get into the Sweet 16. They were euphoric. But then again, look at LeBron James. He makes millions, and there are times that he has a hissy fit and decides uh, not to shake hands at the end uh, of the game, which, as you know, Peter, is uh, the sign of sportsmanship. You got winners, you got losers. That's right. The game is a team game. It's not an I. There's no I in team playing. There's no I. And when you stop being like that, you're on the wrong track. You're never going to, you know, be really good at what you're doing. You're going to be a phony, a phony and a farce. But uh, I'm glad you brought that out. And yesterday's show, the thing with all the petroleum, I was having a field day with all my friends and a lot of the ABC listeners that call in that I know that I have phone numbers with about how much stuff that you learned from your father, Chester. Yeah, in fact, uh, in fact, in the next hour, I'm going to review that, Peter. People have no idea that out of a barrel of crude oil, only about 50 percent of it goes to fuel whether it's uh, gasoline, whether it's kerosene, whether it's jet fuel, whether it's home heating fuel oil, only 50% out of a barrel of crude oil. The other 50% goes for 6,000 different products. And I'll go through that laundry list of products, and you will say, oh, my God, I'm brushing my teeth with a petroleum product? Oh, there are so many products, like the dashboard. Some of you are hitting the dashboard right now because you're furious with me on the radio. Guess what? That dashboard in your car is made out of petroleum products. 
as are certain of those car parts that you got customized and put on to get some groove to your move? Yeah, petroleum products. And up next, the new name for this show as picked by Frank Marano. Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Wait a second. That's it. After all of the fuss-butt actions that Frank Morano took with management to insist that I couldn't call myself the other side of Midnight Weekend Edition, this is it. Okay, that's the new name as chosen by Frank Morano. By the way, let me give you the timeline on this. I was told by management to guess what? Frank Morano, the golden child of radio, the future of talk radio, because of all the great interviews that he has done, insists that he didn't want me to have a name that was synonymous with his, uh, the other side of midnight, the weekday edition, one to five, Monday through Fridays, 20 hours a week. He took a hissy fit. And so naturally, you know, he's like he's had the top ratings uh, ever achieved here at WABC and overnight radio beat uh, our beloved uh, Alan B. Combs, uh, no longer with us. And even a Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell. So now he's the golden child. You know, he, they tell me he's the future of talk radio, Curtis. You know, when you're dead and buried, it's going to be all Frank Morano all the time. And so they let him make the choice. Not John and Margot Katsimatidis, the owners and operators of uh, Big uh, Red Apple Media, our parent company. No, they deferred to Frank, as did uh, the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks. And this is what he chose. 382 suggestions that poured into the coffers here at WABC, and that was the best he could do. Do I get a chance to uh, lodge a protest here? Do I get a say in what the new name should be? Another side of midnight. That's it. Nothing more, huh? Could I hear what the uh, new bumps are? Maybe that'll give me, uh, maybe that'll assuage me, that'll calm me down a little bit. I can't believe we went through all of this just to come to the name Another Side of Midnight. Could I hear one of the bumpers, please? It's Another Side of Midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. Wow. That's it. So you see, Frank laid down the EDM music because he figured that would calm me down, electronic dance music. No, it's it's not. And uh, there's another person in the Sliwa household who is not calmed down at all. And you're going to be hearing from her at 12 midnight. It is the most requested, most listened to, most called into segment of the 20 hours that I do on uh, the weekends here when ABC, the acronym, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. I can't tell you how angry she is. 
First, there was a story we reported to all of you about a month ago in which nefarious individuals are coming into our city and kidnapping pigeons, street pigeons. And they're transporting them to Pennsylvania where hunters with their Winchester shotguns are shooting our live pigeons as opposed to clay pigeons. And they're paying a premium price. So what happens is an unmarked van comes in with Pennsylvania plates. They see a whole group of pigeons, so they give them extra food. The pigeons gather up. Naturally, they're hungry. And then they scoop them up with like this huge satchel, throw them in the back of the van, drive them to Pennsylvania. And my wife Nancy is on a mission. You know, her mother lives out near Milford, Pennsylvania, and uh, her family has told me that Nancy keeps some AK-47s out there where it's legal. Obviously, doesn't bring them here into the city. And goes out there and shoots some uh, you-know-what from time to time. So she wants to grab the AK-47s, and go to war with the hunters who are shooting live street pigeons from New York City that they're paying a premium price for. Now, you would think that was bad enough. Now she sees that there is a guy. It's in the New York Post. This guy doesn't know what he's in for. Christopher Holland, who lives on East 26th Street, he is taking up a petition. He's gotten 62 signatures as of Saturday morning. He lives in Kipps Kipps Bay in Manhattan, and he wants to make it illegal for you to feed pigeons. So he wants a law to be passed that says that if you feed pigeons, oh, you could kill somebody in New York, nothing happens to you. But if you feed pigeons, oh, capital offense. And he says, I want these dirty birds off my sidewalk. I want them out of my sidewalk. And I'm going to war against any of my neighbors who come out and feed the pigeons. And so he says, look, it's like a thousand pigeons in this vicinity. And then they flock down. And in addition to placing themselves all over the cars, all over the uh, uh, the window cells of the various buildings. They end up occupying it. It looks like a scene out of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. So he wants them eliminated. And he has no problem being in photographs in the New York Post. So now I noticed earlier in the day, my wife Nancy was like on a mission. She was like making Xerox copies of this guy's picture and saying that he is an enemy of fowls, pigeons. Wow. And I know a lot of you, you believe that too. I've run into many of you. In fact, the other day on the block we live on, 87th, right uh, near Columbus Avenue, there was three Albanian guys. They had bought a building about eight years ago. You know, first they become superintendents up in the Bronx, and they buy their own buildings. And they came over and said, oh, Curtis, wow, you live on this building. I said, yeah. I said, uh, how is it running that building over there? And how long have you owned it? Oh, eight years. Yeah, problems, you know, sometimes with the tenants, lockdown, uh, uh, the pandemic were difficult. But we're trying to find somebody who's feeding the pigeons on this block. We're hooking up cameras. I said, save yourself the money. You're looking at the person who feeds the pigeons. He said, Curtis, what's wrong with you? And so I started showing them how I'm feeding like thousands of pigeons. I'm the pigeon man. And they didn't know what to say. Now, if it had been somebody else, they probably would have terrorized them. 
But they're looking at me like, and I could tell, because I don't know Albanian, I have to get the Albanian bad uh, girl here, Lydia Sarani, to possibly translate. But they were basically calling me a kukulamunga with all the furniture upstairs and rearranged in the wrong rooms. I'm asking all of you, whose side would you be on? Would you be on the side of this guy on 26th Street, Christopher Holland, who is now taking a petition around? Because he wants to have it made a crime to feed the uh, pigeons that some of you call rat uh, pigeons uh, in the streets of New York. Or do you take the position of my wife, Nancy, who is like the protector of the pigeons, is looking for those that are kidnapping our pigeons and taking them out towards Milford, Pennsylvania, and wants to get her AK-47s. And she says, oh, they want to shoot real pigeons? Instead of clay pigeons, how would they like it if I start shooting at them? Now you know what I'm dealing with. Oh, she's Miss uh, Second Amendment, Annie Oakley. Oh, don't try to take that AK-47 out of her cold, dead hands. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As Peter in Staten Island uh, told you. That in the uh, half hour mark, I'm going to run through a whole panoply of uh, products that get made from petroleum. A regular barrel of crude. 50% of what you get in a regular barrel of crude oil does not go to any kind of fuel. Does not go for gasoline, home heating fuel oil, kerosene, none of that. In fact... It goes for the products that use day-to-day, pharmaceutical products. That's right. When you go to Dwayne Reed or CVS and Walgreen and you watch everybody come in with their swag bag and they start going through the aisles as they're shoplifting while you're waiting like a half-hour, hour for your prescription, there's a very good chance that what you're taking is made partially out of a petroleum product, including the canister you're getting your prescription in. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Wow, there's Dan calling all the way from Salem, Oregon. I, I feel so bad. Let's go to Dan, the man. Uh, Dan, first off, how are you listening to us in Salem, Oregon? Well, I just dialed you on my cell phone, and there you are. All right, now, uh, why do you choose to listen to WABC here in New York? Uh, there are... Oh, I just... It's so cool. I... The radio stations out here—it's like it's a funeral all day long. And you guys got, you guys got jazz. You got the—I was totally disgusted and uninterested in what was going on in New York until I found you. And uh, there was a change in the setup of the station. I don't know what the hell that was, but I, I got you back now, so I thought I'd call you. Good. Good, and uh, make that a habit because uh, now that it is dusk, we reach 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and they can even hear us right before sailors go down to Davy Jones's locker in the Bermuda Triangle between the Bahamas and Bermuda. That's how powerful a station this is, Dan. It's clear as a bell. And uh, what I called for in the first place was a week or two ago, you, I heard you talking about making you take a new name for your show. And I thought, well, why don't they just ask Curtis? He can name his own damn show. And that wasn't the way it was, I guess, huh? No, Dan, I got double dealt. 
you know what happens? I used to be the golden boy here at WABC. I could do no wrong. They had me on a pedestal. 32 years in talk radio. I was the veteran. Now I might as well be a person of no consequence because you got you got the new Jack, uh, Frank Morano, flexing, uh, objected to the fact that this uh, this show you're listening to right now is part of the other side of Midnight Weekend Edition, and he had a hissy fit, and uh, now the name had to be changed. And what name would you have recommended? I thought about it for a while, and then it came to me. Guardian and Chief for the City That Never Sleeps. Oh, that was so good, Dan. That was so good. And I got to tell you, having spent a lot of time in Portland and Eugene and Salem and then across Mount Hood where there's snow and ice and then down down to the Dalles, you know, where all the ranch lands are in western, uh, uh, excuse me, in eastern Oregon. I salute you for listening to us because you have a whole bunch of stations out there from Seattle to Portland to San Francisco to Denver. You can get that signal KOA from Denver, and you've chosen to listen to WABC. Yeah, you betcha. It's just so much better. It's It's got life to it. It's, and, uh, yeah, well, I've, I've been, young, sh- I've been, I've been combative and a little bit, uh, irritated, and, and then you're able to t- tell us all out here. What agency, what city, what person, what gang, whatever, doing all that stuff. It's just like a whole college education on the radio. Yeah, well, I've been encouraging Dan, our owner-operator, who's a great talk show host in his own right, John Katsimatidis, to spread the radio empire. I've suggested different stations, different sticks, starting with KABC in Los Angeles, which has uh, fallen on hard times. Uh, but uh, this station... Uh, will be the flagship station of the growing Red Apple media empire of John and Margot Katsimatidis. I wouldn't doubt that soon there'll probably be a local affiliate right there in Oregon. I hope so. <laughs> you should. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> no, no, no. Spread the word, Dan. Spread the word, Dan. No, he's right. Look, uh, I've done talk radio in Portland as a guest. Boring. I've done talk radio in Salem as a guest. Boring. And you would think San Francisco, there would be vibrant talk radio. KGO. Boring. KSFO, a guy named uh, Wiener, a.k.a. Savage, used to be a boring. It's true. That's why people find us. And it's so easy to do with the app, the stream, to be listening to us crystal clear like uh, the guy Ray who calls us from uh, Liam, which is just 60 miles from Poland. He's given us like nightly updates from that part of the Ukraine. It just got walloped uh, 24 hours ago by Vladimir Putin. And he listens to it on the app and calls. Anyway, let's go if we can to David, who's also calling from the West Coast, San Diego. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, David. Hi, Curtis. Another side of midnight. How many hours of brainstorming did that take? Uh, anyway, uh, Tacoma, Washington, I lived there for 15 years. I think you'd have a tough time finding an audience up in the northwest, maybe KVI in Seattle. But as far as Oregon, maybe eastern Oregon. But anyway, the reason I called was that you've got Mike Tyson over there in New Jersey. He's a big pigeon guy. Maybe your wife could enlist him to be a spokesman, talk to those people down in what Kipps Bay, the one who uh, banned feeding pigeons. 
Yeah, well, in fact, you're right. Mike Tyson grew up on Amboy Street in Brownsville, never ran, never will. That uh, story that went national of the three-year-old who was leaving child care and got shot, uh, that was right in the neighborhood that he grew up. Yeah, he had a huge pigeon coop, still does. Uh, and you may have remembered uh, one of the greatest films of all time on the waterfront that had Marlon Brando as the dock worker, Terry Malloy, the fighter. Uh, he had pigeons, and unfortunately that kid killed all of his pigeons in his coop because the kid believed that he was a rat. Uh, I, I remember when I was growing up, my, cons- uh, my uh, uncle Vincenz had a pigeon coop on our roof, so I learned all about the homing pigeons, the Boston baldies, how to raise them, how to actually have them circle in the sky because that's how they train so that they can race. And then you fly by other coops and you end up getting their best birds who follow your flock back to your pigeon coop. You change the clips on their, on their little footsies and all of a sudden it's mine. It's my bird. Did you know that? Did you know that, David? Well, yeah. Well, do you remember uh, Sylvester Stallone in the Lords of Flatbush? When he had his pigeons up on the roof and he was trying to impress uh, the other actor whose name I can't remember. You remember the Lord, the Flatbush? Yes. Came out, what, 30, 35 years ago? Yes. You cannot imagine, David, there are pigeon clubs in which men will uh, spend enormous amounts of money to develop their pigeons, their homing pigeons. And then after training them, they will be transported by truck all the way to Florida. They'll be released down by Key West, and then they have to make it back to their coop, and then it's got to be photographed and time-stamped when they got back. And tens of thousands of dollars are bet on those races. Tens of thousands of dollars, David. I read something about that. I read something about that. I'm just amazed that the pigeons can do it. Yeah, well, look, uh, I'm amazed that in the Ukraine, Vladimir Putin has not used his cyber technology to destroy the grid, which would mean they'd have no phone cell coverage. They'd have no ability. Zelensky wouldn't be able to zoom. They'd have no TV that they could watch newscasts. I thought for sure he was going to knock that out because then their only remedy would be doing what warriors have done for centuries. They'd have to get messages by pigeon. That was used during World War One extensively. Absolutely. By the way, you lived in Tacoma. Did you live in the hill? Yeah, I lived in Hilltop, 900 block of South M, right by the Safeway supermarket. I lived there for 15 and a half years. My wife and I were living in Syracuse, and she decided to go back on active duty in the Army, and I begged for Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where I was in the 101st, and she ended up at Fort Lewis out there at Tacoma. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Tacoma, although small, is a tough town. That hill area, you got your fair share of gangs that have come up from Los Angeles, and they've uh, embedded themselves there. Yeah, I was I was there from uh, December of '84 to May of 2000, but uh, most of it was like five blocks south of me. I really never had any problems there, except for this white guy across the street. I was a trucker. And I was gone for three days a week, and he broke into my place and stole some stuff. He tried to, to, to blame it on some brothers who lived down the street, but I knew it was him. And he ended up getting arrested on other charges of burglary. But no, I, I had no problem there. Well, I do appreciate you calling all the way from San Diego. So back-to-back, belly-to-belly, we've gotten calls from Salem, Oregon, San Diego, California. And by the way, David, uh, uh, do you listen to local talk radio in San Diego? Uh, no, it's too lame. It really is. We've uh, 
we don't just don't have much out here. We've got a we've got a good conservative on KOMO, uh, not K, uh, yeah KOMO. No, anyway, whatever, whatever the standing station is, Carl DeMaio, he's uh, he's good. Well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, David, uh, to all of those that are thirsty for good talk radio, I know it's within the wear with all the plans of John Katsimatidis, Red Apple Media, to become a network all across the nation because he knows, like I know, that it's a wasteland in a lot of regions there. The talk radio is horrific. You get all this pumped in, syndicated talk that all sounds the same, and then occasionally you get a local talk show host or hostess that really have, they don't have the chops for it because they've never been given an opportunity to actually practice the craft, and so you're stuck with lousy talk radio. Look at those two guys out of Sacramento. They're out here. They're, they're syndicated all over the place. They're just, they're really lame. I can't even think of their names. But they're they're all over the place. They're down here in San Diego, and it's just uh, you can't you can't listen to them. Well, they're just David. I have a feeling that John Katsimatidis and Red Apple Media will be coming to the rescue of those who desperately want good talk radio. Now think of it: you had the gentleman from Salem, um, Oregon. You had this guy who called from San Diego, originally from Tacoma. They could go to satellite radio with all those stations, and there are many, but it's really bad talk radio. There are local talk radio outlets that have a lot of syndicated talk that is really just a Xerox copy of one another, like no difference. And then you get a place like WABC with all of our local talk that, as you could see from both these guys, they go out of their way to listen to us morning, noon, and night which I know many of you do, and you have to continue to spread the word. Our number is 1-800-848-92. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Paul Monroe, who's calling from Manhattan with the, uh, an idea for a name for this show that, unfortunately, Monroe apparently has already uh, been given a name by Frank Morano Monroe. Uh, I would like to say, if it's possible, of the course. high school and the air with nice music every night. Ah, well, look, the look, high, I, I must, uh, I must tell you, Monroe. In addition to all the great talk radio here, you just had Joe Piscopo, two hours, uh, Ramsey uh, Super, I believe Ramsey Monster. Excuse me. What the hell? They also sell Subarus, too. I give them a double, double plug because if not for them, we wouldn't have two hours of Joe Piscopo every Sunday night of Frank Sinatra. Although I, I really have it in for Joe Piscopo. He has never played the Tijuana song that Frank, excuse me, that Frank Sinatra sang that I first heard on The Simpsons. In fact, I, I'd like you to find that. Uh, and imagine. Joe Piscopo does an amazing job, an amazing job of uh, teaching us. In fact, it's uh, number one on the cut sheet, number one on the cut sheet. An amazing job. All the narratives about Frank Sinatra, stories that many of us uh, never had any idea about. He plays great stacks of wax of uh, Frank Sinatra classics. But I had to be watching The Simpsons in order to... Uh, Find out that Frank Frank Sinatra had done a song about Tijuana. Well, I'm going to make it all up to you. You kids, the time of your life. 
Get ready for two weeks at the happiest place on Earth. Tijuana! South of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when stars above came out to play. And now as I wander, my thoughts ever stray. South of the border, down Mexico way. Classic. Classic Frank Sinatra. Uh, I will really, uh, really put the pressure on Joe Piscopo now. Why? Out of all the great songs he's played, never this song. Even some of the cognoscente who listen religiously or on the podcast at WABCRadio.com have said they've never heard this song before. Al, who called, who used to work for Sinatra in promotions, actually said, yeah, he listens to every Joe Piscopo show. Joe did not play this song. I'm going to have to take him the task on this. It's really a great song. And the reason I was looking for a song about Tijuana, TJ where I've spent a lot of time battling border bandits in the 80s in the San Ysidro Canyons, was there's a gas station on the Tijuana side right before you hit the border in which a gallon of gas is $3.72. Whereas in the rest of California, especially where our last caller called from San Diego, gas is now $7 a gallon. So people are going across to TJ. And then down the Baja to Ensenada, you know, they're having a good time. Although, TJ, forget about it. It is not the Tijuana that some of you guys remember when you were in the service in the Navy or the Marine Corps. I mean, it's narco-terrorists, men pretending to be women. Although, that existed back then, too. A lot of Russian prostitutes who have come in there. or Drugs, drugs galore. And illegal aliens just flooding into the city, ready to try to break out across the border and go to Los Angeles. It is, it's a hot mess. When I was in TJ and we were stopping the border bandits who were raping, robbing, and beating up the illegal aliens who would be lured into traps by the uh, coyotes who would bring them across. And then the border bandits were the Tijuana police who didn't even change their, their jackets at night when they were hiding out in the hills of San Ysidro. They still had the same windbreakers on that said Tijuana police. Unbelievable. And then you go high. They had a station, a radio station. They still have it there. It's even more powerful than WABC. 100,000 watts. Because they don't have the same regulations on the Mexican side, but it, it goes right into the United States, right into the, and it's right next to the racetrack, which is high on a hill in TJ. But Joe Piscuo has never played that song. And I know some of you were thinking that maybe you'd retire in the Baja or other parts of uh, Mexico where there are a lot of expatriates because it's good quality of life. Easy to live on Social Security. And even Jesse, the body Ventura, friend of Frank Morano, lives most of the time down there with all the uh, other expats. As dangerous as it is, and it can be dangerous. Hey, that much you, you know I'm good at telling you. You got a lot of Americans living down there. They can live. They can have a house, a new house, living off of Social Security. Great quality of life. The weather, you can't beat it. 
And obviously, you can get uh, almost everything because the dollar, the dollar sings and rings in Mexico. But when are we going to hear that song, the Tijuana song, by Joe Piscopo? It all up to you, you kids, the time of your life. Get ready for two weeks at the happiest place on earth, Tijuana! South of the border, down Mexico way, that's where I fell in love when stars above came You know, if he's uh, ever away, Joe Piscopo, because oftentimes he entertains on the weekends, cruises... Goes to casinos. You know, he's still in great demand. Maybe I'll get a chance just to spin that one tune. Frank Sinatra singing about TJ. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Christopher calling from Marlboro, Vermont. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Yes, Curtis. I've been a big fan of yours for, God knows, at least 30 years now, probably. Um. Yeah, and you're playing that song, South of the Border. Imagine that. Yeah, my father my father was told to write two songs, to arrange them, to make them sound more like Billy May than Billy May in 1953. Capitol wanted, Frank had just come over from Columbia, and, and uh, they wanted my father to work with, and, and Frank wanted to work with Billy May. Billy May was on the road with his own band, and uh, my father wrote these two arrangements. Uh, for this upcoming recording session at Cage Day Radio on Melrose Avenue, which is where they used to record before they built the tower. And um, Frank walked into the studio that night. He said, who's that? Oh, don't worry, Frank. They're they're Billy's arrangements. My father kicks off, I love you. I really love you. Which which had been made big uh, uh by an anomaly called Stalag Seventeen, when they they were dressing up as girls in the in the in the uh, prison camps in uh, Germany, you know. But in any case, the second one was south of the border. I see, you see. And Billy May, Billy May eulogized my father at his uh, memorial service on October tenth, nineteen eighty five, in Westwood. Westwood Memorial Park, uh, Westwood Village, California. He said, you know, I still get blamed for those two. Uh-huh. They sound more like me than me. But now, Christopher, a question. Uh, you're calling from Marlboro, Vermont. You're not originally from Vermont, are you? No, I'm. Uh, my hometown is Santa Monica. We moved to Malibu when I was five years old. I was baptized at St. Monica's Church, and we moved to Malibu when I was five in 1955, and... I graduated uh, St. Monica's High School in 1968. But now, being up there in Vermont, uh, there are a lot of stations uh, that you would catch the signal from Boston. Why do you choose to listen to WABC? Because, um, Curtis, you know, I was born in California, and California was very Republican when I was born. It was very conservative. And I married a little girl named Elizabeth who was a London girl. I married her. I met her in London in 1985. We were married April Fool's Day this year, 1986. Actually, not this year, but 1986. But um, we lived in California, and then we moved to 
Great Barrington, uh, Massachusetts, because she visited her relatives so often in England, and it seemed like most of my work as the leader of the Nelson Riddle Orchestra was on the East Coast. So it just seemed it just seemed sensible. So we moved there in 1989 from California, and I tuned into WABC, and uh, I, 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 well. I don't want to get political because it's not political, but I was listening. I had played a fundraiser the previous night, 1990, for then-Governor Jim Flimflam Florio of New Jersey, right? Ah, Florio Free in 93. Right. I, played, I played this thing at the Sheraton at the uh, at the football patch down there in, um, what the heck's the name of it? Um down in in, uh, in New Jersey, and I'm driving home that day back to Great Barrington, and I I couldn't find anything decent to listen to on the radio, music wise as usual, and I tuned in to W uh, WABC, and I heard this guy on the radio, and I thought, my God, this guy thinks the sun shines out of his um something some uh, aperture of his body. But by the time I got home, I told my little girl, Elizabeth, I said, I just heard this guy on the radio, and he doesn't, I don't agree with him, he agrees with me. And I was spot, sold, and paid for from that on, that time on, from noon to three, on WABC 770. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, uh, I don't know. All right, let me, tell, let me tell you, Christopher, you and so many others, so look, you had Salem, Oregon, San Diego, California, Marlboro, Vermont. <clears throat> Let's go all the way to Cheryl, who's calling from north of the border in Ontario, Canada. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Cheryl. Hi. I just wanted to say I just I love your show. I, I absolutely I actually save the stuff to do in my kitchen till late at night so I can just turn this radio station on and just enjoy doing stuff in the kitchen and listening to you guys. Now which part of Ontario are you from, Cheryl? Um, Selwyn, Ontario, which is about a hundred miles northeast of Toronto. Yes, yes, and uh, there now there are a number of radio stations in Toronto because I've been uh, interviewed by them. Uh, you could easily be listening to them. Why do you you choose WABC, Cheryl? Because all the stories and, and the truthful things that you guys come out with, and like Rita Crosby and how she is directly right with what's going on, and all, I mean, every everybody I turn to or listen to, including you, um, it's just so truthful, everything you say, and it's just, I don't know, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to listen to people who actually are there for people. Now, just imagine before the lockdown and the pandemic in uh, 2020, mm -hmm. this station might have ended up being in the junkyard. The tower may have been disassembled. We may have gone dark because the owner operators of us previously uh, had no, no intention of keeping the talk radio format at WABC. And then John Katsimatidis came along and uh, grew it to where it's become this global entity. Imagine, in just the length of time of the lockdown, what a turnaround, Cheryl. Yeah, yeah. See, I lived in the United States for 31 years. I'm Canadian, but I lived down there for 31 years. And I lived in um, central Illinois is where I lived. Yeah, well, let me tell you something, Cheryl. Having done a lot of uh, interviews uh, in T.O. Toronto, it's boring. Boring talk radio. 
boring in Portland, boring in San Diego, boring in San Francisco, uh, boring in Toronto. That's why this global entity of WABC is going to have quite a life because there's so many people out there who love talk radio, this thing of ours, this thing of ours that so many of you feel is so personal. It's the most intimate form of communication that exists, talk radio. And that's why uh, Red Apple Media is spreading in so many different ways, not just with the app and with the stream. They developed WABCRadio.tv, a TV network, the podcast. you got to go to WABCRadio.com, not only the podcast for the live presentations like this show and other shows, but all the specialty podcasts. You have a friend of your own globally. It's WABC. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. So I had no say in the picking of this new name. Another side of midnight. Oh, that was a real brain buster. By the way, um, you think there are problems in the Ukraine involving Russia's invasion? Look over to their allies, the Red Chinese, our nemesis, Shanghai, a city of 25 million people is in lockdown. That's right. The virus there is spreading like wildfire because they never built up their immunity. They had lousy vaccines. They didn't have the Trump vaccines. Uh, they didn't have uh, Pfizer uh, the two shots, they didn't have J&J, the one shot. They didn't have Maduro, the two shots. They insisted that this was the best, not like the rest. 25 million people are in lockdown. They have other major cities now that are in lockdown. This will have ramifications all over the world because they produce most of our products. And as I've told you, 6,000 of the products that we purchase in the United States on a regular basis are made out of petroleum products. So 50% of a raw barrel of crude oil goes to the things you most commonly associate with petroleum. Gasoline, home heating fuel oil, kerosene, airline fuel, right? All those things. The other half go to make products. Toothbrush, perfect example. Slacks. That's right. The slacks you're wearing. Partially made out of petroleum products. You go through a whole laundry list. We would actually have to probably take a half hour just to go through it. It is so enormous. And my father, who is a merchant seaman, who served some of his time on an oil tanker, the Gulf Deer, for the Gulf Oil Company when it existed, and would uh, bring in a payload of petroleum products to the tank farms in Staten Island through the Straits of the Verrazano, the Arthur Kill, the Kill Van Cull, would describe to me all the products that come from petroleum. And he said, you see that St. Joseph's baby aspirin you're taking? Part of it is a petroleum product. The pharmaceutical products, DVD, just an incredible list of products that are made out of petroleum that you would never in your lifetime assume. So, you know, we talk about embargoes. We talk about cutting back on uh, oil. And when we cut back on oil, we're cutting back on potentially the manufacture of products that we're all dependent on. 
In the meantime, let's go to the phones. It's uh, Nina calling from Wilmington, North Carolina. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Nina. Hi, Curtis. Now, um, Nina, where so are you from? The, where are you from well, originally? Well, originally New York. Ah, and how long ago did you escape to North Carolina? About 30 years ago. Wow, and uh, was it a, uh, did you have a good experience? Was it something that you were happy that you did? Oh, yeah. I was glad to leave New York City. Wow. I was glad to. But um, I um, I lived on 17th Street and 7th Avenue, across from the old Barney's. Oh, I don't sure. remember that. Sure, and why why do you listen to WABC in North Carolina? You got a lot of radio stations right there. They're boring. They're boring. They're boring. I like your gruff voice and your wealth of knowledge. It's so entertaining. I found you about three months ago, and um, I was sitting through channels, and I heard you, and I've been listening to you religiously on the weekends ever since. Well, let me tell you, I want to thank you, Nina. That's another happy listener who chooses, uh, as she lives in Wilmington, North Carolina, has been living there for 30 years, escaped from New York like so many people are now. It's incredible. You know, Florida is the number one destination for those who have joined the exodus. North Carolina is the second largest migratory pattern that's taking place. And if you notice the recent stats... The largest exoduses now are taking place from San Francisco and from New York City and mostly Manhattan. Mostly Manhattan. Got to stem the flow. People are leaving because the quality of life, uh, the job situation, the taxes, the public schools. We can go on and on. The crime. By the way, uh, our number is one 800 let me give you some of the other products that are made out of that uh, barrel of crude oil that you so often hear about. Oh, it's 120 a barrel of Texas crude today. TV cabinets, epoxy, car battery cases, insect repellent. The insect repellent that you spray on yourself, partially made out of petroleum products. Umbrellas, roofing. The porcelain palace, the toilet seat you sit on, partially made out of petroleum products. Candles. You light candles uh, for Chabas on Friday, Friday night, going into Shabbat. You light candles when you go to church, or you light candles when all of a sudden there's no electricity, or you're into new age, mysticism, Kabbalah. You light candles. Petroleum products. Trash bags, right? All the trash bags. Petroleum products. Nylon rope. The hand lotion and creams that some of you women adore. Petroleum products. Guitar strings. Uh, well, those of you like our staff here, white boys who play air guitar and play hacky sack. No, but if you play the real guitar, guitar strings, petroleum products. Golf balls for petroleum products. Shaving cream, fan belts, cold cream. Those dentures that sometimes fall out of your mouth, you know, when you don't have enough denture cream? Made out of petroleum products, antifreeze, football helmets, awnings that are out on your patio, toothpaste, toothbrushes, paintbrushes, combs, balloons, 
parachutes, dishes, artificial turf. Remember the old artificial turf when that was all the rage? And then they realized, hey, you get artificial turf burns. And plus, if you remember in the old Philadelphia Phillies Stadium, Veterans Stadium, you all of a sudden you hit a fly ball, it bounces, and it go like sky high, like all of a sudden with silly putty. Uh, that's made out of petroleum products. The movie film, like some people will be recognized uh, for them processing movie film because, you know, it's a special kind of film made out of petroleum products. 6,000 everyday products get their start from oil. And we're not talking the knockoff olive oil. Dishwashing liquid, solar panels, food preservatives, eyeglasses, children's toys, tires, heart valves, soap. Plastics, vitamins, a.k.a. vitamins. And my favorite, the rubbing alcohol that I swab my nostrils with to prevent myself from getting COVID-19. Hey, it's worked for me. Wait. Doesn't stop. It goes on and on. Antiseptics, caulking, curtains, sports car bodies, pantyhose, boats. Toolboxes, dresses, ink. All those products, 6,000 of them made from petroleum. So when you hear a barrel of crude is going for $99 or $120, and your natural assumption is, okay, gasoline, of course, diesel fuel, of course, home heating fuel, of course, kerosene, of course. Other fuels, of course. That's only 50% of each barrel. The other 50% contribute to the making of 6,000 everyday products that we are dependent on. And I don't know of any alternatives for some of those products. My father told me, quite simply, he said, Curtis, uh, uh, for capitalism to succeed, the petroleum that is brought up out of the ocean, that is brought up, uh, out of the land, enables those uh, those products to be manufactured cheaply, whereas an alternative product, if it were to be used instead of petroleum, might drive the expense up phenomenally. Let's go, if we can, to Karen, who's calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hi, Curtis. How are you? I uh, love your show. You're very flamboyant. You know a lot of... You have a wealth of knowledge, and I like the way you in you know you talk to uh, regular people on the phone rather than experts, and you know you let them tell their stories. You know you learn from each other that way. It's terrific. Well, I must tell you, Karen. Uh, as a young boy, I had two mentors. My grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, he died when he was ninety-nine. He was from uh, Andria, a town in Bari, Italy, right on the Adriatic coast. Could not read, could not write. So he would convey everything through stories. He would mm-hmm. speak in broken English or broken bodies. And then my father, merchant seaman, who had to drop out of high school in the Depression because as the oldest son of four sons uh, in the family in Chicago, Polish family, he had to go to work because my grandfather, Anton, lost the business. They had a carpentry business, and he went mm-hmm. belly under. So he had to start uh, sailing flatboats down the Mississippi at 16, banana oh, wow. boats uh, to uh, South, excuse me, yeah. to uh, Central America, El Salvador, Guatemala, from the wow. port of New Orleans, and then joined the Merchant Marine 
to help our war effort in World War II. It's like my grandfather on my father's side. He could tell you stories from 50, 60 years ago, but he couldn't tell you what happened yesterday. Right, but think of it, Karen. German. We, we convey a lot of information through narratives, through stories. It's engaging. Mm-hmm. It, it titillates uh, the ears. You, you listen. Like hear just regular people talking, you know, rather than the so-called politicians and experts. Well, I hate talk. I hate talking to politicians because they give you the <laughs> rope a dope. They give you, you know, what they're going to say. And you're not going to shake them from what they're going to say. But average, everyday people, they come to life. They'll tell you stories. They'll give you information, things. It's like opening up a treasure chest that's been buried for years. It's funny. I met somebody today. I mean, he is a true Biden fan. He thinks Trump was the worst president ever. He says, are you serious? I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I said, Trump was the worst president. He was the best president we ever had. Biden is the worst president. But but you see, that, that's the beauty of WABC, Karen, because look, just this afternoon, I came back from the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Bay Ridge. I was talking with Democrats and Republicans because there are just as many Democrats there now as Republicans, even more. And then I was on with Chris Hahn. He certainly was very defensive in protecting what he felt was the great presidency of uh, Joe Biden, and he truly believes that. I'm not a big Trumper, but I know if Donald Trump were president uh, today, Vladimir Putin would not have uh, invaded the Ukraine. There's no doubt about that. But that's what talk radio enables you to do, hear all different points, and then come to your own conclusion. Let's go to Jim, who's calling from, where is that, Aston, New York, Jim? Yeah, Curtis, after New York, upstate. I'm the guy we talked a while ago. Uh, bought the farm upstate, got the diner, trucking. I uh, buy and sell equipment. Yeah, no, no, no. You're, you're, you've been a fixture on uh, the show. You provided us with so much great information and tidbits uh, of knowledge that uh, few of us have been privy to. Well, Curtis, right now... I, I, I work for an import-export company out of the port. Our port side is slow because of what you're talking about with China and the lockdown over there. Uh, plus, there's scared money right now because of what's going on in the world and the fuel. But I'm hauling rubber <clears throat> right now from Illinois. I didn't want to do it. They threw stupid money at me to do it. This, they paid me 1700 to drive the truck to go pick this up, two-day run. The fuel is going to be two thousand dollars. This this rubber came from Texas to Illinois, there, so they had to pay that. That's going to be another like fourteen grand to ship it to the Czech Republic. And all this is is a load of of raw rubber. It's fourteen pallets, like bins of rubber. Now from Texas to Illinois, they're paying me two grand, almost two grand to drive the truck, two grand in fuel, fourteen grand to ship it. Never mind the profit involved in that. And this is a petroleum product. Yes, it is. A lot of people don't realize that. They think, you know, the old documentaries that had people taking the rubber sap, you know, out of trees in Indonesia and Java, you know, that's that's how a tire is made. Yes, some of that product is in it, but the bulk of it is petroleum products, Jim. Yes, Curtis. You know, also... I haul flour. I usually I usually run Buffalo, New York, Rochester, Buffalo, and I haul flour out of a big General Mills plant up there in Buffalo, and they are swarmed with trucks because people are ordering as much as they can, afraid of the price going through the roof. 
Well, I got to I got to tell you, Jim. Uh, people need to understand how tight it's going to get. Our owner operator, John Katsimatidis, who uh, is not only involved in groceries and other adventures, but he's an oil man, has said the prices are going to skyrocket. And with this news today that Shanghai is in a lockdown, twenty five million people. That's a major city. That going back through the years, even before the Red Chinese were there, the Brits. That was a major exchange uh, place uh, for world currency and world products. And so much of Red China is going into lockdown because their vaccine was not good enough to develop immunity in the Red Chinese. They thought they were smarter than America. And the Trump vaccines outdid them. And now the rest of the world may pay the price. Up next, the Animal Welfare Hour with you-know-who, Nancy Sliwa. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Art. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. I see that uh, orders from headquarters have not gone through to those that create the schematics. For this most preferred hour of the many hours that I do here at WABC, the most listened to, the most called into, our animal welfare hour featuring my wife Nancy animal rescuer extraordinaire they have yet to put you on the ark nancy yeah I, something tells me you might be holding up that that process why why would you think that i <laughs> would prevent you from having equal status on my noah's ark i i just think you want the whole ark for yourself but i could be wrong well, I've got to calm you down because uh, it was two weeks ago you wanted to get your AK-47s out of storage in Pennsylvania and hunt those pigeon nappers who were taking pigeons off the street in New York in droves to bring them out to Pennsylvania to hunters that didn't want to shoot clay pigeons any longer but real pigeons. You were mad enough to go out there. And now I think uh, the battle will be fought at home. There's a guy who's... Uh, gathering petitions up on East 26th Street that has to do with pigeons. Can you explain what this battle is? Uh, someone being very unreasonable, in my opinion, uh, starting a petition, which is alleging that, well, first of all, I, I think the, the claim is that the, the person's trying to get the people who are feeding the pigeons to be banned. Like, I'm not sure how much they think can be done, but maybe trying to also wait, like uh, raise awareness because they feel personally disturbed by the pigeons. And then, you know, going through the list of, like the, the litany of potential things that pigeons can, can cause. So, I mean, basically someone's just making this their, their go-to mission to try and ban uh, pigeon feeding in the neighborhood. And then I think also you know, as a result of that, sort of have, like, consequences for people who are doing that. I mean, I, I've encountered this before myself, 
Um, not, again, I, I think it's very particular personalities. I think obviously there's a lot of ways to address anything people are concerned about, but I find it very interesting because, you know, w- when people are concerned about all the the pigeon poop that's left in the area, if that's what they're they're focusing on, how many people walk dogs throughout New York City? And, I mean, uh, uh, hopefully you live in an area where people clean this stuff up, but a lot of times they don't. And then even if they do, it's like it's kind of dirty on the sidewalks. So for some reason the dogs get a free pass, but pigeons who actually are outdoor by nature – they're constantly demonized and targeted, and that's really unfortunate. Well, if I remember correctly, before I launched my effort to run for mayor, uh, didn't the mayor at that time, Bill de Blasio, attempt uh, to pass legislation that would fine people for feeding pigeons, whether in the park or the streets, uh, outside of their homes? His his, uh, proposition was fining people who are feeding them basically anywhere outside even the park area and the assumption can find food uh, on their own but but it kind of begs the question how do you know like they've never really done any census or survey or you know and anytime you're talking about people living in environments that are more or less you know you're supposed to live in some sort of a hopefully peaceful coexistence but this idea that animals are constantly put to the side as though they don't belong here when the reality is they're as equally able to be in this environment as anyone else is, I think it's just the like the weird uh, thing that people think in general. Like, oh, I, I own everything and to heck with all these animals. It's like, no, they, they exist. There's what, what they do, if you try to take them out of the overall ecosystem, the fallout that will happen. I mean, they don't even know. They're not even sure what what they're expecting after that. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of consequences, too. Well, please keep us in the loop on that, because these folks have thrown down the gauntlet. They're trying to get people in trouble who would uh, feed pigeons. Well, one, one thing that exists now, too, which I find highly annoying, is when people try to keep pigeons at bay from buildings, it's okay that people put up the pigeon spikes. So uh, the thing that always gets to my heart, this is why I think I initially got interested in sort of trying to help them, is you see pigeons walking around who are missing like a multitude of their their toes. And this is legal that they're maiming pigeons left and right. So, I mean, I think the pigeons really need our, our, our assistance. Well, let's uh, move to some of the uh, animal-related issues of this past week. Probably first and foremost was the plight of a dog in North Carolina who it was determined was actually a gay dog uh, that had been abandoned. Can you explain to our audience, first of all, how would you know that a dog was gay? Are animals uh, gays and lesbians or transgenders or whatever? Uh, And uh, what became of this uh, gay dog in North Carolina? Okay, to your first question, I don't know how you would be able to tell that. And it seems more of the the basis as to why the owners wanted to relinquish, allegedly relinquish this dog to the shelter. Uh, it was a male dog, and uh, you know, apparently they what, what their statement was that it was getting trying to get friendly with another male dog. I think that kind of misses the point of you know how dogs and animals are in general. You know, I don't I don't really know if you can determine by their behavior, but. 
to even cite that as a reason just I mean I, I mean it's it's so far beyond ignorant and idiotic like I don't even know what to say about it but the uh the happy end to this story is that uh there was actually um a gay couple who saw this uh story and were very proactive about reaching out to the shelter uh, to obtain this, you know, to obtain this dog before it was, you know, potentially euthanized because, you know, it's like at uh, kill shelters. So they were lucky enough to, um, you know, save this dog prior to it being euthanized. And, um, you know, based on the condition of this dog, it seems like the previous owners just weren't uh, very good caretakers. And this dog had an, a whole host of issues aside from being not fixed, which would probably explain why it's willing to, you know, uh, hang out with any animal. So I think, again, just that lack of understanding of basic animal facts is, uh, I mean, but even beyond that, it's just so absurd, this story. I mean, those people are, are unbelievably ignorant, and thankfully they don't have this dog anymore. Now, speaking of uh, animals, uh, uh, we are going to be doing a podcast soon here at WABC with the video and the audio. Uh, many of our staff here have animal issues. They want to bring their animals to work specifically so that uh, they can ask you questions, Nancy. It'll be seen on our podcast. And I was amazed at the number of people who work behind the scenes who have all kinds of animal-related issues and including some of our hosts and hostesses just the other evening, uh, where he can be heard every Monday through Friday from 12 midnight to 1. Dominic Carter was concerned about his uh, dog uh, that he uh, lives with, he, he and his family out in Ramapo in Rockland County, Dolce. Dolce, my Maltese, is really an old man now, and I'm I'm scared to death about, I mean, four times a day, I look at him, I'm like, oh, God, is he breathing? Because he sleeps all the time. Now, what would you say without having actually seen Dolce that uh, maybe Dominic uh, needs to be tending to because he really was very concerned about his lifelong friend? Well, I I can attest to the fact that I have absolutely done that myself. Uh, when you when your animals start to get older, and they start to sleep even more than normal, uh, I mean it's I think it's just a very understandable concern. Uh, I I've absolutely stared a little bit longer at some of our older animals, like tuna in particular, just to make sure. Like I still see the the chest going up and down because it's hard to tell sometimes. And I mean, you get, you get worried about them. Um, I mean, anything you can do to uh, make their life as easy as possible, I think is, is definitely essential because, you know, everything is pretty much, you know, you look at it like, like if you were maybe thinking about like, you know, anything you would do to take care of anyone who's getting older, you try to make their life easier. So I know with the cats, it's like, I have the, the litter box where it has the lower edge to it, so it's easy for the cat to walk in there. Uh, I, you know, we actually I put um, padding down on the entire floor in the apartment, like the same thing you would have in the gym. So this way, when Tuna has a little trouble walking, if she happens to fall over, she's not falling on the floor itself. So, I mean, I think anything you can do to make their life easier and recognize maybe what their limitations are as they get older is the best thing you can do. Well, uh, on that note, uh, 
uh, with so many issues that relate to uh, pets. I'm sure this podcast that we're going to be doing soon in video and audio form uh, with actually having uh, pets in the studio is going to help enormously. Uh, but uh, there is a situation not far from where your mother resides in Milford, Pennsylvania, where apparently deer are jumping off of bridges. Uh, it makes it appear as if it's like a suicide pack or something. But can you so, sort of explain what the problem is that so okay, many yeah. deer are killing themselves and what remedy uh, have men and women come up with? Okay, so yeah, so it's it's certainly not anything that would appear to be them actually uh, purposefully taking their lives. But what 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 it is is that there's a bypass that goes over a highway in Pennsylvania. And based on the way that it's um, developed, there's no side to, so like for instance, there's no um, fence on either side, there's no perimeter on either side. So, and it's in the middle of like a very rural type area. So this is where uh, deer live in large population. So when they're trying to cross from one side to the other, go to a different location, uh, you know, they're walking over this bypass. And, I mean, as you can imagine, any types of cars that might be coming, if, if they're honking, if you have uh, tractor trailers, things like that, they're getting scared. And if they get frightened, one of them will just try to escape. And the only way to escape is to the side. And unfortunately, there's nothing to contain them. And then if one uh, happens to jump off, it's like, you know, because it tends to be uh, does that are jumping so it's like every it's like almost like everyone's following suit, you know, it's like following the the herd. So uh people who live in the area have noticed that this is going on and they alerted the uh Pennsylvania Department of Transportation and the response from the Department of Transportation it's such typical bureaucratic like you know you want to just shake your head like it makes zero sense. So now that they're supposedly now that they've been made aware of it their answer is, oh, okay, over the next couple of weeks, they're going to try to get an idea of what's going on and why the deer are there. Uh, I mean, this is this is pretty much basic. The deer are there because this is their, their area, and how they're getting there is because they're just walking. So they're going to take weeks to research it and to look into it and to think about it before they come up with an answer, and they don't even know if it's an answer that they're required to have to solve. But the the local people who are seeing it are suggesting more of the obvious things like having barriers or even at a minimum having like netting where in the event that they fall, they're not falling to the ground cement and dying. So, I mean, I think the solution's pretty easy, but unfortunately who they're reaching out to is really dragging their feet. And so it'll, who knows? I mean, hopefully they'll be able to get something resolved soon. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's our Animal Welfare Hour featuring Nancy Sliwa, the uh, animal rescuer extraordinaire. And speaking of deer and bear, that's the other issue that Dominic Carter deals with at his home in Ramapo in Rockland County. He oftentimes told me, oh, we have deer that come into the yard. We have uh, black bear come into the yard. And he has a uh, cat named Beyonce, who's frightened, but listen to the situation involving his cat. And, and, then I, and then I have a cat, right, that's a boy, but we named him Beyonce, and I have a turtle, and the cat is crazy as hell. Now, 
Can you imagine? Is this a form of animal cruelty that uh, Dominic and his family, they have what is anatomically a male cat, and he names the cat Beyonce? Well, that could, that could account for some of the initial craziness, for sure. Maybe there is that little bit of a, an issue based on the, the naming convention. I mean, but consider that, like, out of all the names that Dominic Carter could have chosen for his cat, knowing the cat was a male, wasn't even a debatable issue. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Sometimes we've had cats that we had when they were super, super young, and you couldn't tell um, the the gender of them. So you, you give them a name, and then maybe it doesn't fit down the road. But, I mean, if you know it, I would think maybe you should. But it could be more of the... I mean, I think with cats, they certainly require what I've what I've noticed is they require a certain degree of attention. So uh, the prevailing opinion is a cat. Oh, cats are very independent. You know, you leave them alone to their own resources. They want to do their own thing. They want, but that's I don't really think that's their nature. I think they are so much more social than the than the sort of prevailing opinion is. So if the cat is left alone a little bit much. And now it's in a house with a with a dog who gets attention, and then a turtle running around. Like maybe it's just it just is a, crying out for a little bit of attention, which is usually when you have that sort of uh, quote unquote crazy behavior. It's it's really a cry for the, for help. They want they want to spend time with you one on one. I will share that information with Dominic Carter when I see him next, but also our own Frank Morano, who follows us uh, starting at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, was asked a question about one of his cats named Sheba. Uh, a lot of you have been asking the status of our cat, Beth Sheba. That's my wife's favorite cat. And she is, by any objective measure, the nicest of the three. So she had some sudden weight loss. We took her to the vet. They said all her tests were normal. Um, come back. Uh, they gave her something for her eye because she was experiencing some conjunctivitis for her eye. Uh, come back in a couple of weeks. We'll see where we are. Uh, still, you know, weight far below normal, lost a lot of weight. And this time they did a blood pressure test and they found that she had extremely high blood pressure. So they gave us some medication. She's been taking the medication. And yesterday she went back to the veterinarian and uh, thankfully her blood pressure is normal. Wow, Nancy, that sounds like what we human beings go through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously most of these um, health issues with pets, the earlier that you can catch it and address it. And, you know, thankfully the vet did actually uh, figure out how to address what specifically it was. So, but yeah, the more you're on top of it right away. Uh, when they're losing weight, that's such a, a big issue because unfortunately what happens when, um, especially I know cats, like when they lose weight, it could be based on one sort of health ailment that makes them lose weight initially, but if they lose uh, too much weight, then it starts to cause a lot of secondary uh, type of issues. So the weight loss is a really, really big deal, uh, and you need to get on top of that uh, as quickly as possible when you see weight loss. Well, it seems like uh, Frank and his uh, wife, uh, Rachel, definitely were right on top of it. Well, I, I have a feeling Rachel more, but yeah. <laughs> for sure let's go to fred who's calling from garfield new jersey your turn to be heard here on the animal welfare hour here at wabc fred curtis i'm 85 and i want to say that your wife 
has the most soothing, beautiful speaking voice of anybody on radio and TV. I would think that any uh, pet company would want to use her for a commercial. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Well, no, I've heard that quite a bit, Fred, from a lot of our listeners. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can listen to her read the phone book and not get bored. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Because, you see, I come off of a few hours screaming, ranting, hooting, hollering. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden they like uh, the sultry voice of Nancy that is a... Yeah, nice voice. You know Debbie Duhame? Yeah, Debbie, I've known her and her family for years, yes. Uh, Debbie Duhame and I have been platonic friends for about 35 years. Wow. And boy, boy, she comes from quite the political family. Her mother yeah. and father served. Her her uh, brother uh, was the campaign manager a campaign years ago. Right, for a campaign manager right. for Donald Trump, his re-election. Yeah, all right. That'd be good. All right. Well, look, uh, I'm sure uh, Nancy's all for toots after hearing Fred talk about what a soothing voice you have, Nancy. Yeah, and I think it was also a little bit of a statement that you scream a lot, Curtis. I think maybe you need to take it down a little bit. Well, I'm telling you this, they don't know Nancy before she's had a cup of coffee in the morning. If I don't go out there and get a cup of coffee, oh, that quiet, sultry voice that all of you hear is in a rage. Well, that's only because you you actually made a point of making that your job at uh, at the house. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. So if, if you haven't got the coffee by... 10 a.m., like, we do have a problem. That's right. I'm the coffee boy. <laughs> anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Nina calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Nina. Oh, thank you, Curtis and Nancy. My God, you guys are so iconic of New York. These talk shows are great. I'm so glad the format has stayed, and, and it's, it's a great thing. But, you know, the, the pigeon plight... You know, many years ago, New York used to have a huge area. It was like a huge, almost like a tennis court with a netting. And I think it was, it was I think it, if I'm not mistaken, it was called like a pigeon coo. And they actually had um, uh, like someone who oversaw the, because they're like homing, the pigeons would come and, and gather in this huge netted area. I'd seen old postcards to that effect. It's very fascinating. Pigeons are beautiful. I think one you know, of and, and actually that's that's interesting yeah. that you say that because there are, I've I've seen people in the area who definitely are doing that because you see them flying yeah. in the patterns and they're going back to the same location. Right, so, right. They're beautiful. Yeah, so maybe they they've just dropped the ball on having yeah, people do that, and then as a result they have this um, sort of a overpopulation. But you know yeah. when, when um, yeah. De Blasio was saying uh, before, oh, just trying to ke- oh keep them in the parks Aww. and don't feed them on the streets. But there's a number of parks throughout New York City yeah, where they started yeah. doing this thing where they put down, like, astroturf. So they don't oh, even wow. have the natural environment where pigeons can actually right. obtain food. So they're, they're kind of missing the point that they're, they're slowly encroaching on their environment. And it's like they're not really accounting for it. And it's like, oh, well, now we're annoyed with you, so we're just going to, like, anything goes. Like, th- that shouldn't be the case with a living creature, that you can just dismiss the, the fact that they're living creatures. Well, you know, you mentioned, uh, Nancy, AstroTurf, and I had gone through a whole panoply of different uh, products, close to 6,000, that are manufactured from petroleum, from a a barrel of oil that we all think, oh, that's gas, you know, that's uh, kerosene, that's uh, home heating fuel oil, that's diesel uh, fuel. No, no, no. Uh, You mentioned uh, artificial turf. 
That, that's made out of gasoline. That, uh, excuse me, petroleum. Mm-hmm. Petroleum. Every, almost everywhere you go is petroleum-based products, and a lot of them uh, that are utilized by pets for the benefit of not only their health but also their enjoyment. A lot of the pet toys, like children's toys, that come from petroleum products. Anyway, yeah, it's amazing how many things are made from that. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two. Let's go to Gio's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Gia. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call, Nancy and um, Curtis. I rescued a, a male cat several years ago, and the mother had brought, brought her into my cousin's backyard to, in the sun, I don't know, to heal it or to, to offer it up to God. And the two other siblings were there watching it. And the cat was like um, hours from death. So I picked it up. I had my friend pick it up, and we took it home, and uh, I nursed him back to health. But here's the situation. He overeats, and he in the wintertime, he becomes obese. And I try, I feed him, um, you know, like good, healthy food um, without fillers and stuff like that. But So I don't know how to curb that. And secondly, I noticed, um, you know, as he's getting older, his Breath is getting, uh, you know, a little strong. I'm concerned about teeth because I do have friends that have older cats and tell me that they they lose their teeth, and I don't want that to happen to him. So we bought some toothpaste, but I didn't like the ingredients in it. Could you give me some heads up on those two areas? Oh, okay. So let's see. With the with the weight now, I know um, one of the things I do uh, with my cats is uh, when you when I'm doing the feeding. So putting down the food at certain times, and then after, uh, let's say, maybe 30 minutes or so, then you bring up the food. So, for instance, I don't have things that are out uh, 24 hours a day, and that's something that I, I read about a while ago where their natural metabolism is um, most on point because, I mean, the concept of them being predators, you know, they hunt at uh, various stages throughout the day. So by virtue of them smelling food uh, 24 hours a day, it kind of slows their metabolism down. So definitely anything you put down, you know, like have, have like a certain times that you're doing the feeding and then you just bring the stuff back up. So, you know, the cat can only eat at certain times and it's not just always constantly available. And then, of course, anything you can do just to, you know, stimulate some of the activity. Like I, I, I play with the, the cats with the feathers on the string and anything that makes them jump and run. So, those things are good. Um, in terms of the, the breath, yeah, I mean, I know for sure that's one of the the biggest things that happens as the animals get older. It's dental health, like more than anything. It's just so prevalent. So uh, anything um, – now, and again, in terms of the uh, the toothpaste type thing for them, you're right, That that's a tough one. It's, it's tough to figure out how to do it, but – uh, periodically, if you know, maybe like um, I'm not sure how often it would be suggested, but maybe even like once a year, like it, a vet could do like a cleaning uh, for you for them if it's an issue to do things like that. Uh, because I've noticed that you know I, I try to do things like that with my cats as well, and sometimes it's real hit or miss they they like or not. But I would say definitely if it's a possibility to bring them to the vet where they can handle it, because you know they it, like when you're trying to do something at home. I mean, they'll just like battle you like constantly. But for some reason, when they're in the the veterinarian environment, they're just so scared. <laughs> it's like it's so much easier for them to accomplish the same thing you're trying to do at home 
where they feel like they're just king of the castle and just, you know, don't touch me. Is it possible, Nancy, to floss a cat's teeth or a dog's teeth? <laughs> I can't. I mean, me personally, I can't even I can't even imagine that being the case. I mean, it's tough enough getting them to, like, open their mouth up for for medicine. But, yeah, something like that, I think, is I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard of flossing, but they do have a lot of things where it is like, again, it's like the cleaning of the teeth or, um, you know, and again, maybe if you put the, the um, like the toothpaste type item on something that otherwise they might be playing with. Or also, oh, the other suggestion, too, is if uh, it's something that they, instead of putting it directly into the mouth, if you put it on like their paws, you know, something that kind of forces them to have to like lick it off. And so it, they kind of get it inadvertently. But yeah, I mean, it could just be that, you know, you, you go to the the, uh, the veterinarian as well because there could be uh, like a singular tooth. The, the thing that could account for the smell is that maybe there actually is a tooth that's decayed or there's something like that that might need to be removed. I mean, I had an older cat where every single tooth had to be removed, and this was like a rescue from the street, so it was like very severely, um, you know, like uh, the dental issue was very severe, but it could be that one tooth is really what it's, what's accounting for it, so... Uh, you know, it could be just that's a good reason to just bring uh, the cat to the vet for that purpose. All right. Let's go to Lauren, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Lauren. Yeah, just FYI, I don't know if you're familiar with Cher and the Loneliest Elephant. It was a 35-year-old bull elephant in Pakistan that was chained in a garage-like setting, and it was banging its head against the wall, and they thought it was a dancing elephant. Obviously, you know, that's the way they behave in mental institutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see it? I know know what you're talking about, correct. Yeah, it's incredible. They they built a cage, and and then he got out of it, and then they built another one, and then getting him on the airplane, and if he moved a certain way, they were all going to die. And the bottom line, he was, relocated to an elephant place. So I don't know what's wrong with the one in the Bronx Zoo and if there's any way that we can help with that one. Well, you know, that's been, that's been ongoing for so long. And to the point of even like it having um, the, the court involved, like, you know, trying to, it, to me, this is just so completely sad that you will have people who are, uh, no, they're not just speaking on behalf of the interest, but they have actual sanctuaries for these elephants to go, and they'll refuse to relinquish them. They won't, you know. This is this is exact. I mean, this is completely absurd. Any of these animals, they're pack animals, they're herd animals. They're used to being, you know, in like a group setting, and to be isolated this long. And like you said, the the behavior of these. Like, you know, this, it's very clear-cut behavior. These animals are, like, completely distressed. There's nothing they can do. Like, this is, I mean, it, you know, it's. It, and I know the one in, in the Bronx, that they've been trying to fight for a long time to try to get this this um, elephant out. And why they continue to hold on to it, I don't know. Um, you know, with the exception of maybe it's just good for their business. Oh, they want to have an elephant where people, when they, I mean, and again, I think some of this stuff is starting to become a little bit outdated if you really want to teach people about animals, I think there's a lot of other ways to do it other than keeping them in solitary confinement, which is pretty much what you're doing. I mean, it's just, it's cruel. And, you know, there's better ways to expose young people or anyone to educate them on these animals. I mean, this is, yeah, it's really, it's it's cruel to keep an animal in isolation like this. 
Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Mike. Yes, how you guys doing? Curtis, great show as usual. I wanted to ask you guys, you know, New York City, as you well know, is being overrun by rats. And something has to be done about it. But what can be done in a way that will not, you know, harm the rat population? Like, what type of solution is there? Lisa? Yes. Well, yeah, I think um, one of the things that they that they definitely have an option to do is there are ways to sterilize the rats. So, I mean, obviously the the whole goal with that is uh, the delivery mechanism. So, in the same way that you know they're putting down uh, some of these traps or um, like these enclosures where the rats are going into, the idea is, oh, they eat the poison, and then they go and they die. Well, then they can just as easily, you know, be eating the sterilization pill. So I think if they focused on it, that's something that can be done. You know, so again, it's not going to harm the existing one. Obviously, the um, the feral cats, uh, this is, a you know, a big thing with me because they have a direct relationship in terms of keeping the rat populations down, and that has to do with uh, when the... Uh, the rats, uh, you know, like mice, like whatever types of rodents, they're very sensitive to the fear elements. So uh, by having the feral cats, even if they were to be um, impregnated, uh, it's like that level of stress. It's like they almost like have an, uh, they abort them. So it's like the level of stress is too much. They realize, oh, this isn't a friendly environment. So that's a a thing that you know, should be done a lot more. And unfortunately, the um, the situation in New York City is when the cats are outside, they just right away pick them up. They bring them out, especially when you're talking about uh, areas that are being developed. So they start to move the ground. The cats that are living there right away just get displaced or they're brought to the shelter. Now all the rats are coming up from the ground and there's nothing to sort of combat it. So again, there's a lot of things that naturally can combat that. And they do have the ability to uh, sterilize if they wanted to because there are those, um, you know, types of delivery mechanisms. It's just they're not doing that. So, I mean, they're really dropping the ball on this. It's 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 never going to end the problem if they keep on trying to, you know, piecemeal, you know, just kill a population here and there because, I mean, they just populate so quickly. That's That's not a solution. Let's go, if we can, to Ray, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard with Nancy Sliwa on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Ray. Hey, Curtis, Nancy, how you guys doing? <laughs> Listen, I got a problem. I just got married, and uh, my wife has a bunny that she had for a long time. And the bunny goes everywhere with her. And the bunny's jumping into bed. And this and that, and it's ruining our sex life. This bunny. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's, that's a tough one right there. Um, oh, and Nancy, what do I do about it? I mean, I love the bunny. The bunny's good. Well, yeah, I, love, I would say. I mean, maybe at, at a minimum, at the well, making love in the middle of the night, the thing jumps up. I mean, maybe it's, it's like just, if the bunny has like a little it? enclosure that you can, like a little, you know, a crate, or you just keep the door closed so the bunny can hang out in the other rooms. But yeah, you, I mean, at some point, you need to have a little bit of a, you know, yeah, but my wife won't have it though. She likes the bunny to run amok everywhere. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you got to ask her about that. Why, why well, is she? The other night we were having great sex, and the buddy jumped up on the bed and ruined everything. I don't know. They 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 they, they seem to be pretty edgy on what to do. Maybe it was just trying to give you some advice. A bunny rabbit has uh, interfered. Uh, Peter Cottontail has interfered <laughs> with their sex life. Anyway, let's go to Al, who's patiently waiting on the line in Tenafly, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Al. Hey, hi, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, okay, here we are. It's Academy Awards night, and uh, you guys are the ultimate animal lovers and appreciators. So in the movies and on TV, we had uh, Lassie and Rin Tin Tin and Benji the dog and Daisy from the Dagwin and Blondie movies and so forth and so on, and Roy Rogers' dog Bullet. What were your favorite animals as you grow up uh, in the movies and TV? Yeah, go ahead, Daisy. I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you right right this second, real quick, as I'm thinking about it. Cause well, that's, that's actually a great question. My favorite at the beginning as a child was uh, I watched the Million Dollar Movie on Channel Nine. You would see the same movie five nights uh, a week, King Kong. So that was like my all time favorite movie because King uh, Kong. Yeah, King Kong. But that, it's like a pet. Okay, well, an animal. Okay, it's an animal. That's good. Okay. Well, in, in a way, okay. because remember, King Kong, the big ape, uh, was being cared for by individuals who, who treated him like a human being, and then there were other humans who wanted to kill him instead of care for him. So it really, I think, showed me as a child that look, no matter how big the animal, I mean, we have that right now when you're talking about pit bulls or you have other animals, uh, uh, Great Danes or Doberman Pinchers or animals who are considered fierce and maybe not necessarily friendly and maybe uh, could be harmful to you. Uh, it, it always reminded me that King Kong was very gentle and had human characteristics. So I would say, yeah, that's my all-time favorite uh, animal movie. And you know it's funny. I never like I, I didn't um, watch a lot of things as a kid growing up, but I do. I read a lot of books, and I do remember 101 Dalmatians, and that you know that kind of got to me too with the with the dogs. I mean, I always liked the dog stories. There, there was a lot of them too. Well, you know, the really other scary. the other evening, uh, uh, a number of callers had called Nancy and was telling us that we have to get the uh, the uh, the movie the Japanese uh, film about Hachi, a dog's tale, about how this dog had remained, this Akita dog had remained so loyal uh, to a person for like nine years or something of that. It was a Richard Gere starred in the movie. Uh, but I think we're going to have to get that movie because, well, like three or four different people who said, you're going to watch this movie and you're going to cry. Oh, no, definitely. Absolutely. All right, let's go if we can. Uh, to um, Jennifer, who's calling from Boston. Uh, your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Jen. Hey, Curtis and Nancy. Um, I just want to start by saying I, I think you're both just so good and just I'm just so grateful that there are people like you in the world and you you um, give me faith in uh, my fellow man. And Curtis, quickly, um Last week, when you were talking about the sweet lady from Atlanta area, I believe her name was Mary, 
Um, I don't know if you remember who I'm talking about, but the oh, woman yeah. you were trying to Mary of. Mary Reeves. She was in her seventies. Uh, she yeah. had uh, she was a professor and an attorney, uh, and she had lost her way, became homeless in New York City, and was getting passed around uh, in the system. Uh, so she became homeless and was riding the four train until we guardian angels rescued her. Well, I just wanted to say when you spoke that night and you went on. Um, you went on a bit about just us as people and you went on about her and people in their situations and how we treat one another. You brought me to tears. I was so moved by your passion and your kindness and your, I don't know. I just, it was remarkable. It was riveting radio really. And um, so I just applaud you both for who you are. Um, and that said, if I could quickly just on an animal note that um, I, I've actually heard you guys talk about this um, in New York, evidently, some people poison the pets in the city and different parts and different cultures, and they do awful things. And sometimes pets are poisoned by accident. You know, they eat the wrong thing, this or that. And I just wanted to remind people, if you're a pet owner, it's a very good idea to have um, a pet poison control number nearby. Because if you are a lot of pets, you know, a lot of vets aren't open 24 hours a day and something happens in the middle of the night or on a weekend – and even if you get through to your vet, they will almost always refer you to a poison control center. So it's just a good thing to have. I know in the past I've had to utilize it, and it can really uh, be a saving grace. And especially if you can find one that doesn't charge, and if not, um, you know what I mean, something to know about ahead of time so you're not caught off guard at the last minute because it can be a lifesaver. Right. So anyway. Thank you both. You're both blessings, and um, take good care. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Let's quickly go to Diane calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Diane. Okay. Um, I saw an ad on TV, and, and but maybe you could look it up and Google it or something. Uh, it was this uh, kind of a rubber toy for pets that had little little tiny little spikes on it little and and they kind of chew on it and and what it does is it massages their gums um i can't remember the name of it but there there's such a thing you know and that might be good for their teeth also um there's this other thing I've seen a lot of. It's Dynovite, and it's it's a food that has all sorts of enzymes and things that are taken out of pet food. It's it's very very good for it, for the health of the pet. Yeah, well, uh, I wonder if uh, Nancy, that's about as close as we could ever get to flossing pet's teeth with a toy that massages their gums. Yeah, I, I think that probably would be the closest we can get. Um, <laughs> but you're right, yeah, if, if they're chewing on anything, uh, and and I, I've seen, like, those toys as well, I guess that would be hopefully the equivalent of them sort of uh, cleaning between the teeth. I guess sometimes I get a little bit worried about things where, like, I'll wake up in the morning and I see something, like, missing part of a toy, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm just so... You know, cognizant of that, but as long as it's a sturdy toy, I guess that that could be a good option as well with the little spikes on it. Now, you recently brought a toy into the house for the critters, the cats, uh, and I noticed Athena, the matriarch, <laughs> was using it to scratch her back and scratch her sides. Yeah, so it's a, 
like a, a little, like a, one of these boards, you know, like a scratching a post where they, you know, they can sit on top of it. But what it has is, uh, it's almost like a, like a little car wash thing, like a little circular thing where the, in theory, the body can fit through, but it's all like bristly. So Athena, she's the, the long haired cat that we have. And she is so obsessed with being groomed all the time, like to the point where like I can, the minute I grab the, the little brush, if it like hits against something, she knows that noise, like she's ready to be groomed. So, but this allows them to sort of like self groom a little bit. So I try to set up as many things for them like in that level, but yeah, she loves this thing. So she actually claimed it. She wouldn't let anyone go near it. Like that's her thing. So <laughs> like, I'm sure after a couple of days, she'll let people go near it. But right now that's, that's her toy. Turf battle. And our final call for the night on our animal welfare edition here at WABC is Michael from Rockaway. Curtis. Yes, Michael. Wifey. Love you. Love you. Love you. We have a little cat cattle con colony on Beach 80th Street under the boardwalk. We got a lovely bunch of people taking care of them, but I have two uh, 20-pound dogs that I love and I would die for, and it seemed like I was going to die from the other night. Some thug from the Hamill Projects, Curtis, uh, was walking, not one, not two, not three, but four Pitbulls off the leash. Yikes. And, and I, I said, I, I uh, Curtis, I grew up in your neighborhood. I grew up in East Flatbush, and I had these beautiful little puppies with me, these little boys with me. They're 20 pounds each, and this guy is walking four pitbulls off the leash. Unbelievable. And I, uh, Curtis... I kind of grew up around Murder Incorporated, so I speak on occasion. So I said, I would be devoured. There, there, there was no winning here. Yeah, yeah. And this exactly. guy was walking four dogs off the leash, pit bulls, and thank God these cats weren't devoured. Yeah, well, and, you, well, uh, well you know, Michael, that, that's the problem in our city now. Anything goes. Uh, some guy, some Gabon, walking around with uh, four pit bulls off the leash that would have been brought to somebody's attention years ago i know uh, under rudy giuliani there was uh, zero tolerance <laughs> that would have been brought to the cats uh, the cops attention and they would have dealt with it but that doesn't happen any longer forget about it it does not happen any longer it's almost like you have a license to do anything in this city but anyway uh nancy uh, until next week uh, how can people get in touch with you if they have any animal-related issues? Uh, they can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. Right. Uh, so that's nancy at guardianangels.org. And if they want to find out any other information about the great work that Nancy does with the Guardian Angels, it's the uh, Animal Protection Division of the Guardian Angels. Just go to uh, guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. And you hit... Uh, the little tab, and you'll learn all about what Guardian Angel uh, protection for animals uh, involves. So next, be looking for that podcast that will soon air. It's going to be a video podcast of issues that we will discuss, animal-related, that have nothing to do with this hour. And it will involve people first here at WABC who bring their pets 
so they'll actually be on screen. And then eventually uh, we'll open it up to uh, members of the uh, general uh, public. So uh, the animal welfare program is moving fast and furiously, Nancy. No, this is fantastic. It's always a pleasure being able to take part in this. Yeah, just make sure you don't get your AK-47 in Pennsylvania and start hunting down these uh, pigeon killers. I I can't make any statement to to either effect of that, but... All right. I will talk to you next week, Curtis. Do appreciate it. <laughs> Up next, uh, with a new... Can, can I hear that first? Can I hear that uh, that intro? Hold on a second. This is chosen by Frank Morano. Hold on a second. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Can you believe that? How difficult was that to choose from the over 382 suggestions that came pouring in? Both by email, snail mail, people texted, they called in the shows, they left information. Uh, Some people actually dropped off information at uh, my home. 382 potential selections. And that's the best that we could do. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. Check this out. On the weekend. Ufa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. God, is this the best you could do, Frank Morano, after I like 382 it. suggestions? Yeah, well, you should have seen some of the suggestions. And you chose another side of midnight? That's right. That's right. It's got to be just just close enough to the entree, the main event, the reason people tune in on the overnight radio, but it can't confuse people. Huh. That's the situation. I see. So if it had been one of those other sort of long names that had no connection whatsoever... To the other side of midnight. Right, because what happens, Curtis, is a lot of times people are up late Friday night, and they'll think, oh, it's late, uh, I worked this morning, oh, Frank Morano must be on, and then they, they turn on the radio and they're disappointed to hear you. Now, if the show was called, uh, you know, I don't know, Fievel Goes West or something, then then they would be disappointed. they think something happened to their favorite talk show host. God, all that But work. another side of the midnight is just, just close enough. All right. All right. I, I got no choice. You're the golden uh, child here at WABC now, as the suits say, the future of talk radio, the man who uh, may get cameo appearances on 60 Minutes in the Future to do <laughs> occasional interviews because of your interviewing style. So you're an untouchable here now. I, 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 I wish that were the case, but I'm not sure it is. So as an untouchable, what do you have in store for all of us? Well, uh, we're going to begin with the smack heard around the world. Have you been following this? This is one of the biggest stars in the world on live television just a couple of hours ago just smacked another one of the biggest stars in the world. We're going to break it down. If you haven't heard about this, this has people that never dreamed that they'd be interested in talking about the Academy Awards debating this right now. So we're going to get into this and we're going to explore the actions of Will Smith just a little while Did, ago. Did uh, Sean Penn actually melt down his Oscar because he said <laughs> Zelensky must appear by Zoom 
No, no Zelensky. Uh, no Zelensky, uh, from what I could tell. I didn't see the whole thing, but no, I don't believe there was a Zelensky. I didn't see any video of Sean Penn melting down his Oscar. But look, given the price of gold, could you blame him right now? I mean, he could probably <laughs> get a lot of money for that Oscar statuette gold. <laughs> and what else do you have in store for us? Um, well, we have uh, commendations, as we do each and every Monday morning. Uh, we're going to give an update on the Ukraine situation, and we're going to get into... Uh, this uh, amusement park situation in Orlando where this uh, this young man, unfortunately, this teenager died on this ride in Orlando. And look, I, I, it's terrible that he died, but it actually makes me want to go on the ride even more. I can't wait till they reopen this ride in the hopes that I can go on it. So well, we're this is, uh, I think this is before your time, Frank, because you're uh, somewhere. Oh, you going to talk about Action Park? Yes. Swings all day and after dark? No, no, no. That's uh, uh, Palisades, Palisades Park. Palisades Park, right. Park, right. But right, Action right. Park, yeah. which was in Sussex. Yeah, there was just a documentary about Action right, Park. Right opposite Florida, New York, the uh, black dirt country where Polish farmers grow those onions that get shipped all over the world. Action Park. Was a uh, ambulance chaser's delight. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know how they did it, but they basically created rides that would guarantee that you would be in a body <laughs> cast, and people were lining up to go, lining up to go. It's true. Well, so that's what we're going to explore: is does having someone die on this ride make this theme park, which I have to tell you, I'd never heard of, more popular or less popular? I don't know. Well, so I'm you sure know what it they, is. They've already hooked up with the family of this young man here. And again, my heart goes out to them. But they've already hooked up with George Floyd's lawyer, Benjamin Crump. Oh, no. So you can bet this action, this no, no, no. Uh, theme now, park wherever is ben going to be spending a lot wherever of Wherever Benjamin Crump goes, the family advisor becomes Al Slim Shady oh, wow. I'm surprised he's not down in Orlando now. <laughs> now, uh, I'm sure in the number of commendations that you're going to be giving out, you're going to be commending me, right? For your birthday. For that and for being so nice to you uh, all weekend long. You weren't that nice. I listened to most of Saturday's show. I waited on hold to wish you a happy birthday on uh, on Saturday or, yeah, Saturday, I think it was. And they didn't get to me by the end of the show. And then they just hang up on you at the end of the show. Uh, they don't say, they don't say, oh, thank you for calling. You know, we couldn't get to you. The show's over. Bye. They just hang up. Wow. It was very rude. They dissed and dismissed Frank Morano. That's right. The golden child here exactly. at WABC, according to all the that, suits, uh, the luck, future of talk radio. Well, luckily for that Haikisha or Carmella, whoever her name is, you can't say her name correctly. Otherwise, she, I'd have her job already. She'd be out of here. <laughs> well, I can't wait to be listening to the commendations because it's about time since you constantly put me in to your denunciations. By the way, when do you do denunciations? Fridays. Fridays, 3 a.m. And then also uh, ask Frank whatever it is that's on your mind that I can't wait to steal from <laughs> in order to build my program over the weekend. Oh, your callers. Man, they, they, they ask some really great questions. They, they do indeed. It's a creative group. It's a creative group. That's for sure. And you certainly take creative license with them, Frank Morano. <laughs> that's for sure. By the way, Shanghai in lockdown, a city of 25 million. Yeah. Well, hey, it's going to be great for us. They're going to be using less gas. There's more for the rest of us that still need it. Bring those gas prices down for those of us that still are driving in. Anyway, up next. Happy birthday, Curtis. The other side of midnight, as opposed to my new name for the show I do, Another Side of Midnight. How bland that is. <laughs> <laughs> 